can. Okay, we are now on the record. Good morning, everyone. I'm Susan Drummond, uh, City of Kirkland Hearing Examiner Pro Tem. Today is Wednesday morning, 9 a.m. June 14, 2023. Um, this is a public hearing on an appeal of the Finn Hill 8 Short Plat uh, located at 8230 Northeast 117th Street. Um, this was set aside potentially as a two-day hearing. We may just take one day, but we do have an extra day reserved for tomorrow. Uh, it's an open record hearing and public comment is provided for. Um, and for, for those of you who are attending and uh, would like to provide public comment, we'll probably do that on the front end of the hearing rather than uh, wait for the, uh, the appeal hearing to proceed as that may take some time. Uh, but if I could have the party representatives for the appeal, uh, just briefly introduce themselves so I know um, the parties for the appeal are present. And just the representatives is fine. Mr. Uh, good morning, Madam Examiner. This is Brian Telligen, uh, counsel for the appellants, Irene Justina and the Overlook at Finn Hill HOA. Good morning, Mr. Telligen. Uh, good morning, Madam uh, Hearing Examiner, Brandon Griffin of Helsel Fetterman for the applicant. Um, also on the screen here is the applicant, Maura Hoyen. Good, good morning, Mr. Gribben. Uh, Ms. Hoyen, did I pronounce that correctly? Yes, you did. Okay, thank you. And then for the planning department. Uh, I'm Stephanie Kroll, the senior assistant city attorney for the city of Kirkland. And we have Nick Salufo and Martha Rubart here for planning. Good morning, um, Ms. Kroll uh, and Mr. Salufo and uh, Ms. Uh, Rupert. Um, okay, so just a few preliminary comments before we get started. Um, this is a remotely conducted proceeding. Um, please let me know if there are any technical difficulties and we will get those fixed. Um, and you can, I, I can't receive any evidence, so nothing substantive in the chat feature, um, but if you do have a technical difficulty, you can raise it there or raise it, you know, through your hands or vocally, however, and uh, we will sort uh, any of those issues out. Um, in terms of the materials that I have received to date, um, I have the staff report for today's proceeding and the attachments. Um, some public comment just came in this morning. Um, I haven't reviewed that as yet, um, but they, these were two PDFs that contained, I think a total of uh, 20 public comments that I have received so far. Uh, and then also there were some free hearing uh, matters. Um, yes, Mr. Telligen. Oh, it looked to me like potentially Ms. Rubart was going to speak up about the yeah. number of documents. So, oh, okay. Well, yes, Ms. Rubart. Yes, I received a total of 11 comments. Oh, 11. Uh, okay. The first email that got stuck in my outbox yesterday. So, the second email is the complete list of public comments. Oh, okay. So, I should ignore uh, the, the email that says nine. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. So, it's 11. Thank you for that clarification. So, 11 comments then. Um, and then as I was mentioning, uh, we had some preliminary proceedings and there's a pre-hearing order on that as well as um, some substantive motions uh, to dismiss in an order. Um, unless there are any objections, I'm gonna go ahead and admit all of those documents um, just for efficiency purposes. No all objection right. from the city. Okay, yes, Mr. Telligen. Uh, so I'm, I'm, if I'm understanding you correctly, you will be admitting uh, all of the prior declarations that were submitted on the motions to dismiss. Uh, yes. Okay. 
Yes. Thank, yeah. Every, everything that was submitted before, unless there are any objections on that, yes, I'll just go ahead and admit those up front. Very good. Thank you. I did want to mention I did do a site visit uh, that was Monday this week, so um, tw the uh, June twelfth in the afternoon. Um, that that's not evidence, but it, it's useful because it provides some context for the evidence that is received. Um, in terms of the order today, and I would like some input on this from the party representatives. Um, but it may make sense to hear first from the planning department before we go to public comment, although that could be reversed. I know sometimes the planning department would like to present to provide some, sort of an overview first. Um, but then I think it makes sense to go to uh, the public comment. And for that, I should note, if you're commenting, if you could uh, provide your name, um, if you could spell your name, and then also provide your address and email. And if you could state that slowly so I can get that down, that would uh, be helpful. Um, and then we'll, once we get to the appeal hearing portion of this, we'll address kind of the order for that. Um, are, are there any questions or input from the parties on order? I, yes, I did have a couple questions, uh, Madam Examiner. And um, so I, I wasn't at, I joined a little bit later during this land use hearing. In terms of substantive exhibits for the witnesses' testimony today, I was planning on introducing those as the witnesses come up to testify, since there wasn't anything in the pre-hearing order or examiner's rules, would the examiner like me to send those beforehand to the parties and the examiner to upload, um, send those as they're introduced, or how would you like me to handle that? Um, Mr. Telligen, Ms. Kroll, do you have uh, thoughts on that? Um, it may be helpful, you know, certainly having everything at, usually a lot of times there's a pre-hearing order with, you know, disclosures and all that, so it's simpler <laughs> that way. We didn't in this case, but, uh, uh, it may be helpful to have them up front, but yes, Ms. Kroll. Yes, up front, please, if possible. Um, <clears throat> if you have an assistant who could send them to us, that would be helpful, Mr. Rubin. Sure, if I could just have 30 sec seconds to send that email, and then we might not introduce all of them, but I'll send every potential exhibit to uh, to the parties and the examiner. The other question I had is, I know two days are set aside, but the Zoom link indicated it was only through 1245 today. So I wasn't sure if we had any time limitations just for purposes of witness planning or how today was going to look. I do not, but on the city's end, um, I didn't know. There, sometimes I know if you set on the Zoom, the Zoom link for a set period of time, uh, and it may, may be that link was just before uh, to, to cover the morning side. Um, but if there are technical issues on the city side, let me know. We'll check on that uh, okay. with Blanca and let you know. Other if if otherwise, we'll proceed as as uh, as if we have a link that will be available all day today, and we can get another one for tomorrow if necessary. And and we'll check to make sure it'll go all day today. Okay. All right. We'll sort it then if if need be. Um, so I guess get back to the question on the exhibits. If uh, you're able to send those, um, that would be certainly be helpful. Don't send, I guess don't send them directly to me. Um, maybe uh, the way you all have been doing it before, some to Ms. Rubart, and then those will be forwarded to me. That's probably the easiest. I did I did receive your letter, Mr. Telligen, um, from yesterday. That probably it was in the public comment packet as well. But I did have that. that it letter. was. Thank you. Okay, I'll have that link sent shortly. Okay. All right. Uh, do we need to take a brief recess to, to, to address it, like for just a few minutes to address any of that? And then before we go into the public comment or. I, this is yes, so Ms. Pearl. the city doesn't have any objection to presenting first or allowing public comment first. 
the hearing examiner has had motions on this, so I believe the, that you know the underlying issues here um, so that we could go to public comment first if that would be most expeditious for the uh, additional witnesses that want to go first. Um, it sounds like um, Mr. Uh, Ribbon has some witnesses he wants to present during his testimony. I'm not sure. So uh, we'll let, uh, we will be prepared for anything. We don't have any objection to the proce procedure today. Okay. Um, yeah, the only reason I was thinking maybe this, the, the department first, just in, because, in case it would be helpful for the public to have an overview. Um, but I know that the presentation is probably more geared towards the appeal. So um, rather than keeping people waiting, maybe it does make sense to have the public just go ahead and comment and then move into the, the appeal hearing um, at that point. Yes, Mr. Telegen. Uh, just a small question. Um, is this being video recorded? I didn't. Oh, I see it now. Sorry. I, I didn't hear the audio uh, indication. I believe, yeah, I believe it's both. Is that, that's correct? Correct. It, this is being recorded. Yeah. Video and audio. I, typically that's how it is, but. Uh, mm -hmm. um, oh, okay. So I think at this point we will move in to the public comment portion. It looks like we do have a fair number of potential commenters. So I'll probably limit comments to about three to four minutes something like that. Um, and uh, as I noted earlier, if you could uh, state your name, spell it, provide your address and email and say all that somewhat slowly so I can get that down, um, that would be helpful. So I think, uh, and then I guess before, any, any last procedural questions? I think that's it for me. Thank you. Just, okay. just for clarification, we uh, do have the Zoom line available uh, for the afternoon as well. Um, so we should be good to continue uh, uninterrupted. Okay, great. I, I guess you. just one more question before we get started. Are there set breaks throughout the day uh, or is it just- Oh, uh, yeah, good question on that. Sometimes I forget about those, but um, yeah, typically there's certainly a lunch break and then we'll probably have short 15 minute breaks, like yeah, two of them, like one mid morning and one in the afternoon. Um, and the parties are free to remind me or uh, propose propose those. Um, sometimes we can get going and I do, do forget that. So um, feel free to mention that. But yeah, certainly a lunch break and then uh, mid-morning and mid-afternoon would be typical. So. And, and are we scheduled to go to 4.30, 5 o'clock if needed? I have until 5, uh, but it may depend on you know where we are witness-wise and, and so forth. So, And I'll look to the parties for input on that once we get close to start getting close to 5. So and then, um, any, any other questions? Nothing further from me. Okay, all right. Okay, let's turn for public comment. And just to note, I will swear you in as a somewhat formal uh, proceeding. Um, so your, your testimony will be under oath. If we could have the first individual, um, I'm not sure how the city wanted to call those if um, you're just going to run through the participants and bring them up. I'm not sure who wants to make public comment and who doesn't want to make public comment. Um, actually, so if Mr. Telligen could tell us what witnesses he believes want to make public comment, um, then we can have the hearing examiner call them uh, in any order that she would like, and we can have um, our assistant promote them. 
Uh, I am going to be calling as a witness in the appeal, Ms. Justina and Mr. Mike Hurley. Other than that, I do not know who wants to provide public comment. Okay. This, is there a way uh, individuals can uh, raise their hand so they can just indicate they wish to be promoted so we can hear from them? That's what I was going to suggest. Yep. It yeah. looks like we have um, hand raising capabilities and I will just, I can call them out and go down the list here. Um, yeah, if you could, that would be most helpful. Thank you. Because I can't see the hand raising. So. Okay. okay. I will just mention the names and then Blanca, if you wouldn't mind promoting them as I call on them. Uh, and apologies again for uh, any mispronunciations. Yep. Uh, I see a hand raised by Mike Conakin, real estate. So if we can promote Mr. Conakin. Blanca. Yes, uh, give me a moment. I am trying to promote him. I'm not sure if he's not accepting. Um, so give me just a moment there. Okay, thanks for letting us know, Blanca. There we go. Good morning, Mr. Conakin. If you could unmute yourself. Good morning. Good morning. And did you want to, to I, I can only hear you on audio. If you wanted uh, me to see video, uh, we'll need to to um, check that box. Uh, no. Okay. Audio is fine. I'm still working on my first morning coffee here. Okay. No, that's either way is fine. Uh, so if you could state your name for the record. Uh, Mike Conahan. And you swear or affirm to tell the truth under penalty of perjury and at the laws of the state of Washington? I do. Thank you. And if you could spell, it's Mike and then Conakin. Is that C-O-N-N-A-C-H-A-N? Correct, yep. Okay. And then if you could provide your email and address. Email is M-I-K-E-Y dot C-O-N-N-A-C-H-A-N at gmail.com. And the address is 8149 Northeast 117th Place in Kirkland. 117th Place Northeast Kirkland. Okay, thank you so much. Um, you may proceed when you're ready. So, Madam Examiner, um, I know you mentioned you had an opportunity to visit the area the other day. And as you can see, you know, our neighborhood is rich with great views, a wonderful area for our kids and everybody to, you know, enjoy that natural beauty safely. And I strongly attest that putting so many units in such a dense area will be a detriment to the safety of people within the area, uh, our kids playing on streets, the traffic coming and going. Um, I don't think any consideration has been made to how many cars will be potentially, you know, in each house, you know, this is a potential for 20 additional vehicles plus plus in that small dense area let alone, you know, the garbage cans, which need to go out um, and just the general appeal of that particular area and those poor folks who um, back right onto that area, looking into all of these units is just a huge detriment to the, uh, to the neighborhood. 
Um, being a real estate agent, I have seen, unfortunately, that developers are skirting the system by, you know, putting these ADUs in and selling them as separate standalone um, dwellings, which in my humble opinion is uh, the wrong way of doing things, especially in a community. An ADU should serve as an ADU and not as a single family residence for sale. Um, I strongly believe that if these go forward, this will be a massive detriment to the safety of our area, um, to the welfare of our area, and to the health of the area. Um, as, as I said before, you had an opportunity to visit our neighborhood the other day, and I, I believe that placing so many units in such a small area is negligent on both uh, the builder and, of course, of anyone who would approve this uh, via the city of Kirkland. Thank you, uh, Mr. Conahan. Okay, if we can promote the next individual who would like to comment this morning. At the moment, I do not see another hand raised. Um, I invite anyone who wishes to speak um, to raise their hand. I see an individual labeled Randy. Randy, if you could unmute yourself, I don't see a last name there quite yet. If you could unmute yourself and uh, state your name for the record. Yes, hello. Good, my, good morning. My, good morning. If you could state yes. your name for the record. Yeah, Vincent Randall Johnson. Vincent Randall Johnson. And you swear for him to tell the truth under penalty of perjury under the laws of the state of Washington? Yes. Thank you. Um, and if you could spell, is Randall two L's, A-L-L? -L? Yes. And Johnson, okay. And then um, if you could provide your email and address. Randy.Johnson8 at Outlook.com. Address is 8. 243 Northeast 119th Street, Kirkland, Washington 98034. And Johnson, that's J-O-H-N-S-O-N, right? Yes. And the number eight, you said? Yes. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, and your video is off as well, which is fine, uh, but just wanted to let you know. Okay. And you may proceed when you're ready. Um, we occupy the home directly uh, behind this proposed development. Uh, aside from the fact that it would block our view, uh, I think our biggest concern, as stated by the former uh, witness, is the amount of traffic and congestion that this uh, development will cause. Even now, uh, the traffic on Northeast 119th Street is, is really significant. Uh, just backing out of our driveway on a daily basis, it's extremely hazardous. There's been a lot of near misses. So my objection is to the increased traffic and the possible safety hazards that this would cause people in the neighborhood. That's my main objection is the increased traffic and safety concerns. 
Thank you, Mr. Johnson, for your testimony. All right, is there anyone else who would like to testify this morning? The uh, Tim Brewer. Good morning, uh, Mr. Brewer. If you could state your name for the record, you'll need to unmute yourself. Is that better? Yes, I can hear you now. I can't see you. Again, that's fine, but just to let you know. I'll let you see me. Okay. <laughs> All right. uh, good morning, Mr. Brewer. Do you swear or affirm to tell the truth under penalty of perjury and the laws of the state of Washington? Yes, I do. Thank you. And if you could, it looks like your name's spelled there, B-R-E-W-E-R, -E -E but if you could provide your email address and physical address. My email address is T-U-G-B-O-A-T-T-I-M-B-O at hotmail.com. Tugboat Timbo. Tugboat Timbo. Tim and is there, let me just read, tugboat, and then is are there two T's there or just the one? Yes, tugboat, Timbo. Oh, okay. And then yeah. is there, there's an E just before the bow? No, T-U-G-B-O-A-T-T-I-M-B-O. -T 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 Great, okay, thank you. And your address? 11710 84th Avenue Northeast, Kirkland 98034. 11710 84th Avenue Northeast. I catch yes. that. Okay, yes. great. Thank you so much. You may proceed when you're ready. Well, um, the street here that goes around the corner by this property um, and the street that comes down the hill to our, towards our house is an unlined, uh, unpainted, I, I don't know how to describe it, but it doesn't have a center line on it. And the corner is kind of a blind corner. And there's a lot of hidden driveways, and uh, every time I back out of our driveway, there's some cars coming around the corner or something that are hard to see, and uh, it's a busy street with the houses that are on it, and with COVID, a lot of families have taken to walking the street with children or dogs, and it's there's no sidewalks. It's, it's basically a street, and uh, it's a narrow street. Um, putting a whole bunch more houses and families in with cars is, I think, a uh, dangerous precedent for the area. Most of these homes are on a, a good sized piece of property. And this particular property that's being developed is one of these larger size pieces of property that's being minced into multiple dwellings and supposedly ADUs are going to get sold as, as private homes, which I don't think was the intent of ADUs in the first place. So I developer seems to be getting an upper hand here on current residents and maybe even the city and doing this and it'd be awful precedent for going forward in the future. So I've kind of written those comments in written form to the city previously, but I figured this is a good opportunity to reiterate those concerns. Thank you, Mr. Brewer, for your testimony this morning. You're welcome. Um, do we have another uh, individual who would like to testify this morning? I see an individual uh, named Shelley. 
All right, looks like we have her promoted as a panelist. Um, Shelly, if you could, um, there you are, your audio is there. If you could state your name for the record. Hi, actually, this is Matthew Cohen, C-O-H-E-N. Uh, Shelly uses this Zoom most often and I didn't change it, um, but she is here as well. So it's uh, Matthew, M-A-T-T-H-E-W, Cohen, C-O-H-E-N, and Shelly Cohen. Uh, Thank you. I'll swear you in first, and then if Shelly Cohn also wishes to testify, I'll go ahead and swear her in as well. Um, okay. Uh, do you swear from to tell the truth under penalty of perjury under the laws of the state of Washington? I do swear. Thank you, Mr. Cohn. All right. I think I've got your name here, but if you could provide your email and physical address. Yes, it's uh, my email is matt.cohen at hotmail.com. Okay, thank you. And then your- oh, Sorry, your... my physical address, sorry. Uh, 8216 Northeast 117th Street. That's in Kirkland. Northeast 117th Street, Kirkland. Okay, you may proceed when you're ready. Yeah, thank you, Madam Examiner. Uh, so my wife and I have submitted comments uh, previously in writing, So, but I just wanted to also speak. Uh, so our house is directly, uh, so we're actually members of the this uh, Overlook Fin, fin Hill, Overlook at Fin Hill HOA, uh, but I also wanted to make some comments. So in addition to sort of the general safety concerns that have been submitted, I just, one of the things I wanted to add was um, just some context or, or some comparison. I've lived in this HOA, which is directly borders the, this uh, property that we're talking about. There are four homes in our HOA. It's uh, about an acre or so total size. Uh, we have a nice long private street that we own and maintain that is, you know, borders the proposed access to the property. In our four homes, uh, we have 19 people with, uh, you know, families and kids. And I think I counted 13 cars. And these are people that live in the houses, uh, children that are coming of driving age. And so, and that's just in these four homes. And these are not like, there's no car collectors or like we're not taking on borders. This is just what we're dealing with. And this is, like I said, uh, there's more space and we have a nice wide street. And I've expressed in my written comments the amount of traffic that we see on the private street that we own on a daily basis between UPS trucks and lawn care services and uh, you know HVAC system people coming in and out. It's on a daily basis. It's many many cars, and that's just our own traffic of the people that live here. Then, because as as it's been stated, there is really no parking or places for cars to park, then all the neighboring, uh, all of our neighbors oftentimes park on the street as well. And so it becomes jammed to the point where sometimes even just yesterday between one of our cars and the lawn care crew, you could not pass through. So I look at the plans for eight houses on a smaller piece of property, and I it baffles me how it even makes any sense at all for those people that are going to live there and the nightmare it's gonna create. And we do allow people to park on our private street. If we didn't, all of the traffic that does end up on ours is going to end up right in the middle of the street that goes around our around this whole neighborhood. So all these people that are 
who are around us who are expressing their concerns it's like it doesn't make any sense at all how you could how you can shoehorn in and if you're going to take and put eight houses in there eventually is what the plan eventually is but even four in that property is going to be like i don't even know what it's going to look like and then if we decide hey it's too much for our property and we don't allow traffic on it where i don't know where they're going to go so they're going to be parking and there are days where we come home and if there's service vehicles on the main street you can't even get into our properties all four of us can't get in and that's just as it is now and there are other developments just in our little square block that are going in all around so there's probably 10 or more homes under development now already and there's going to be eight more so i just want to express like just in the core basic sense of like a place to live that's safe and you know a good place for people to raise their families this is is not helping it won't help at all it's going to it's going to bring down it's going to make things unsafe and just a le less desirable place to live in our city and i think that's just the gist and i know the lawyers probably have a lot of stuff and there's a lot of legal stuff to go through but just as a resident here watching it over the last 10 years i can't see how this makes any sense at all Thank you, Mr. Cohn, for your testimony this morning. And um, Ms. Cohn, did you also wish to testify? Should I swear you in? She is shaking her head no. Okay, <laughs> so, so I guess not. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Um, so if we can move to the next citizen who would like to provide testimony this morning. I see an attendee with the label local admin, no name, local admin. Okay, I don't know if that's an individual who wishes to testify or not. The hand is raised, so it looks okay. like they're being promoted now. Okay. It appears now that local admin does not have their hand raised and has not been promoted. Uh, oh, the hand is back. Requesting you could promote local admin if possible. Ah, there we go. And local admin, I know that's not your real name probably. Um, if you could unmute yourself and provide your name. I'm Connie Brewer. Connie Brewer. Good morning. You swear from to tell the truth under penalty of perjury under the laws of the state of Washington? I do. Thank you. And if you could spell your name, is it C-O-N-N-I-E and then Brewer, B-R-E-W-E-R? -E Correct. Okay, and if you could provide your email and physical address. Connie R14 at Outlook.com. Connie R14 at Outlook.com. Okay. And your, your physical address. 11710 84th Avenue, Northeast, Kirkland, 98034. 11710 84th Avenue, Northeast. Yes. Okay. Thank you. You may proceed when you're ready. Um, I have submitted two comments. 
um, in this process, and um, they probably will speak more eloquently than I will today. But um, others have brought up um, very valid concerns about the safety of this street. We live on a blind hill. People have died here and in the time that I've lived here. It is a small country lane. It is often a one lane road. People do have to back up to get around and wait when there are service vehicles or anyone else parked on the street. There is no parking allowed on this street, in fact. There are signs to that effect. It was, it was almost impossible to imagine how four additional homes on that street, our street, would be accommodated. I can't imagine eight homes, not to mention the traffic, just, just the logistics of moving around obstacles. I have a larger piece of land and I can only legally have two people visit my house. They park in the driveway because no one else can park on the street. The street cannot allow it. I cannot have family parties. How will, I can't imagine that this will serve the common good in any way, not for the people who currently live here and not for future residents. My understanding from the development uh, that I've read is that the ADUs do not even have any parking. I fail to see how this is in anyone's best interest other than the developer. Thank you very much for allowing comments this morning. Thank you for your testimony, Ms. Brewer. You're welcome. We can bring the next individual who'd like to testify up. I see Janice Orr with their hand raised. Okay. Good morning, Ms. Orr. Um, you could state your name for the record. My name is Janice Orr. And you swear from to tell the truth under penalty of perjury under the laws of the state of Washington? Yes, I do. Thank you. Uh, it looks like that your spelling is on your screen there, um, Janice, and then or O R R. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. Okay. And then if I, your email and physical address. My email is Janice underscore or at yahoo.com. My address is 8210 Northeast 117th Street in Kirkland. Okay, and just on the email, that was Janice underscore or at yahoo.com, correct? That is correct. Okay, thank you. So you may proceed when you are ready. Okay, I am also a resident of the Overlook at Thin Hill HOA and uh, next door neighbor to Matt Cohen. Um, I just wanted to comment on the size of the lots that are being proposed 
um, and the fact that especially if there is AD, ADUs allowed on those lots that there's going to be uh, no leftover room for recreation if families live in this those homes. Um, this is a very family oriented neighborhood, so I think it would attract families. It's walkable to the elementary school. It's walkable to the middle school. Um, I know I have a 12 year old child. Um, often she has friends over and they like to bicycle on our private street. They like to run around and, you know, being young, they often end up on uh, Northeast 117th Street, the main thoroughfare. It is the top of a rise. So um, when cars are going quickly, they might, you know, they come upon unexpected uh, kids. Uh, uh, and then another concern is on garbage day, there is a very narrow access to this proposed property. And so those bins will be lined up on that street right at the top of the rise. If there's four lots, uh, that'll be 12 bins. If there's eight housing units, that's gonna be 24 bins. There's no sidewalks. That's gonna be further narrowing the street and um, providing blind spots on that rise. So my, my concern is for safety of children, both my own, um, the safety of my neighbor's kids. There's a total of 12 youths between the ages of 10 and 20 that live just in our HOA. And then whatever children might uh, move into these new residents as well. Makes it uh, a safety concern. Thank you, Ms. Orr, for your testimony this morning. Thank you. Um, we can pull up the next individual who would like to testify. At the moment, I do not see any hands raised. Um, maybe worth clarifying that we are that this is open to any um, one that wants to testify. Uh, we're not limited to um, appellant-related uh, commenters. So, if there are any other individuals who would like to testify, if you could please raise your uh, hand so that uh, Mr. Salefo will know that uh, you wish to testify and can promote you to panelists. Seeing none. Okay. All right, we'll let the record reflect that there are no other individuals who have indicated a wish to testify this morning. Just a quick note, um, you know, after this proceeding, I will be issuing a decision um, and I'll kind of go through the procedure on that. But I think under the code, uh, the examiner is required to um, send that out. And that will probably be by email if I have your email address. So that's kind of why I took all that down. Um, and I'll, I'll go over with the, the appellants on kind of the distribution process. But if any questions on that at this point, let me know. Okay. All right. So I think at this point we've concluded the public comment portion of the proceeding and we can move to the appeal. Um, any, any questions on that before we make that transition? 
Nope. Okay. All right. So let's. Um, Can I examine Yes. Just, just one question in terms of order. So if the city is going next, would you um, have Mr. Telligent ask questions since the appellants follow and then the applicant ask questions in that order? So, uh, yeah, thank you. This is a kind of a question for the parties. Um, I, I had outlined perhaps we'd have the department proceed first by then the appellants and then the applicant. Um, but that can be adjusted kind of depending on kind of what makes the most sense for this particular proceeding. I know there, there was a um, question on discovery. So there may be some pre, uh, procedural matters that we need to address before we get started. But why don't, why don't but before we turn to the procedural matters, maybe we'll address the order first. Uh, parties have comment on order. And this is Mr. Telligen. Uh, I'm fine with the city going first. Uh, I assume that as they speak or when they're done, I can just um, examine them and not be limited in scope to what they may have said, but I, I can treat them as though I call them as my own witness. I let Ms. Kroll know yesterday that I had planned to call uh, at least Ms. Rubart and Mr. Uh, Salufo, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, I, and I, I don't believe Mr. Weinstein is here, but is that everybody consistent with your understanding and on the party's understandings? That would probably probably be the most efficient way to proceed. So mm -hmm. yeah, I, I agree with that. With the caveat that we would reserve our right to recall the witness on our case, depending on the evidence the appellants present. But in all likelihood, we might be able to capture it in their presentation testimony. Okay. All right. Well, we will proceed. Yes, Ms. Kroll. So I just wanted to say that with regard to the witnesses being recalled, the city witnesses, they are here the whole time. The city's intent is to have a full, fair, and complete record. And if people need to recall them, they are available for that. And there would be no objection from the city if all parties agree that that's all right. Okay. Yeah, I just want to make sure the hearing proceeds efficiently. Um, and I appreciate that uh, clarification, Ms. Cole. Um, I, usually people are respectful of each other's time and so forth, but... Um, uh, so I think with that, um, why don't we turn to, I think there were uh, there was a question on, in the letter, Mr. Tillagen, that you had sent about discovery, because it looks like that is not complete, and there was an objection about non-responsiveness, and it sounds like what you've requested is uh, the right to object to any materials that should have been disclosed, and uh, were not, um, and then also kind of, uh, I think there was a the question on kind of what weight or how to how to treat that non-disclosure. Mr. Telligent, perhaps if you could elaborate on that. Uh, yes, uh, so I had sent some discovery requests out. I believe it was at the, it was not long after our pre-hearing conference. Um, and so I had sent discovery requests out both to the city uh, and to the applicant. Um, these covered primarily issues relating to the easement uh, and also to traffic. Uh, and for both parties, I basically said, I would like to have all communications uh, relating to the easement, all other documents relating to the easement, and also any documents relating to traffic or safety analysis. So that was basically the scope of what I asked for. Uh, I, I had asked for those, I gave, uh, there, there are no time limits set forth in rule 15 of the rules of procedure, but I, I said, you know, please give, give me your responses no later than June 12th, which was 30 days uh, after I had sent those out. Uh, June 12th came, oh, and at first I will say that the city has uh, been sort of giving me documents periodically as they as they have ar arisen, 
Uh, I received no response, no communication from the applicant. Uh, I, oh, I, I did talk to Mr. Gribben on Thursday, and he said that he had just been handed my discovery requests. Um, and then on Monday, I get a document that says, uh, basically, for the easement claims, one was, give me all communications. His response was, none exist. Uh, and then I said, well, give me all the, the other one, give me all other documents relating to the to the easement. He said, too broad, too burdensome. Uh, those were what, those are his objections. So his statement was, there are no communications in the possession of the applicant that relate to the easement. Uh, I wrote back and I said, did you do an investigation? Did you do anything to determine if these documents exist before you objected? Because I know that there are documents that exist that are responsive because I have some of them from the city. Um, and he said, basically, oh yeah, well, there's those ones and the city would have already given you those. Um, well, I don't know if he, if he meant to say, yes, there are documents, but the city would have given those to you. He would have written that. He just said, none exist you know, as if there is not a single communication in his client's possession uh, relating to the easement. That is just false on its face. Um, and then the other problem is even granting him the benefit of the doubt, say, uh, that he meant to say none exist besides the ones that the city has given you. Uh, the problem is uh, on Monday of this week, I was notified by the city because there was there was a little bit of um, the process with the city has been sort of unclear. When I first served the discovery request, uh, Ms. Orr had objected that no discovery was allowed. After we worked that out, uh, she sent it off to the public records department. And so I believe the public records department has been sort of finally these to the public records process. Um, I had sort of had some communication saying, well, I need these by the time of the hearing. And they say, well, we'll do our best. That's great. You know, you'll do your best. But just on Monday, I get a, I get a uh, email saying, well, we still have 6,000 emails that like we haven't we haven't collected we haven't gone through so basically there's six thousand emails out there that could be responsive, um, and they gave me their search terms. Uh, they were rather broad and disjunctive, and so I said, well, how about you narrow it by making the word easement a necessary search term? Um, and they said, okay, well that narrows it down to three hundred and thirty-one, and I said, okay, so give me those, um, and so they still haven't given me those, um, and so right as we sit here right now. We have Mr. Gribben saying there are no communications, then saying, oh, yeah, but except for the ones that the city gave you. And then the city has not given me, has not looked through 6,000 emails, and there are at least 331 emails that appear to be responsive related to the easement that I still haven't seen. So it seems to be a quandary to me. And one of the sort of, I guess, biggest points is, you know, I get it that the city's been working. I don't know why they didn't give me those 300 emails when I asked for them. Um, I still haven't seen them, but as far as Mr. Griffin, you don't write none exist unless you've done an investigation to determine that none exist. And they obviously exist. So I don't know what, what he did to determine if his client has any of these documents, um, but obviously they exist. And obviously that statement was false. And so I guess as far as remedy goes, we're here at the hearing. I'm proceeding without, without I think, uh, at least a full, a full response from the city. And I don't think without a good faith response from the applicant. Uh, and since we're proceeding, I can only think that there are two appropriate remedies. I haven't looked through all of Mr. Gribben's exhibits yet. 
Um, but he should not be allowed to enter any any documents, certainly relating to the easement that I haven't seen. And he should not be allowed to enter any testimony based on any document or referencing any document or that arose out of knowledge of such documents that I haven't seen. And also, frankly, he's withholding, he appears to be potentially withholding evidence. And, you know, this isn't addressed in the hearing examiner rules. It says you can preserve order. It says you can draw your conclusions. I have seen hearing examiners certainly draw adverse, adverse inferences from witnesses who refuse to make themselves available for cross-examination. And I think this would be an appropriate circumstance to say, well, if there are such communications regarding the easement that are being withheld, I think you should draw an adverse inference that they are probably damaging. Thank you, Mr. Telligent. Um, do the other parties have any comments on that? Uh, yes, Madam Examiner. First, there, there's no documents being withheld here. And I would like to point out the one smoking gun that Mr. Telligent relies on, it's exhibit E, which again, the city produced to him, and perhaps I could have been more precise in my language that, yes, obviously there were communications with the city. The city provided those documents to Mr. Telligent. The staff report references the correction notice response that provides the 1984 easement. The title report contains all the documents that reference the easement on the subject property. But if you look at that exhibit E, this isn't the easement that is in dispute here. This is a conversation between Ms. Hoyen and the city about potentially a requirement of the applicant granting his client an easement that was never required. So this document is not responsive and he's trying to rely on it that we're somehow spoliating evidence, hiding evidence. Ms. Hoyen is here. She is going to testify. If Mr. Telligent wants to ask her what she did to determine no other documents exist, no communications with the prior owner, I would ask that it be limited in scope, but to the extent the examiner is uh, considering one of the remedies, she is more than fully prepared to testify on that topic. So this is a limited scope, this land use appeal. He's not entitled to unfettered discovery. Uh, I think you heard him testify that there were 6,000 potential emails this is a very narrow issue. The city requested a title report. They requested the 1984 easement. There was a correction uh, notice on that issue and there was a correction response. Those are the relevant documents that the city has before it on the easement. And so there's simply no basis for imposing any type of sanction or adverse inference. Mr. Griffin just, just know, said- I, Let me have a, I have a brief comment on the scope of the discovery. I, I, I do think it's reasonable and relevant within the, the appeal issue. So I don't think there is- I mean, what's been asked for seems to be within the scope of uh, the appeal. And in terms of kind of the number of the emails, you know, on the city side, that's, that's the nature of public records. And I, sure. I think it sounds like Mr. Telligent did propose a way to narrow those. Um, and those are, um, we don't have those at this point yet. So. Okay, yeah. it, it, yes, I'll, let me, Mr. Telligent, you had a brief, uh, and then Ms. Ms. Kroll, I'll go to you. Yes. Um, just very briefly, um, it's not exhibit. I believe Mr. Is Mr. Griffin referring to the exhibits attached to my comment letter when he referenced Exhibit E? Is that correct, Mr. That's Griffin? correct. It's not Exhibit E. It's Exhibit F, for one. <laughs> exhibit E is my conversation with him, um, and Exhibit F does talk specifically uh, about the easement. It says, for example, here here is an email. I'm reading from it from Ryan Schauble from the City of Kirkland. 
to Jack Lacey, copying Ben Iddens, who I, I believe is an agent for the applicant, and Ms. Howian. And he says, as it stands now, this property has legal ingress, egress rights over 8,300, that's my client's property, to access the property. However, this project is only proposing to utilize a small portion of this access easement. So that's a communication about this easement. And Mr. Gribben said, oh, well, there's nothing out there that wasn't already before the city when it made its decision. This is an open record appeal. This is not a question of, you know, we are not here with a closed record asking only what was before the city when it made its decision. That would be a closed record appeal. This is an open record appeal. That's why discovery is allowed. And I'm not just asking for communications with the city. I want to know if there were communications between the applicant's team. And I'm also, frankly, unclear in my conversations with Mr. Um, with Mr. Gribben, I was asking him who his client was. Because I don't know who his client is. Because the original notice of appearance from Mr. Johnson said we represent the applicant. No, no further statement. In Mr. Gribben's notice of appearance, it says he represents Ms. Howian. But my understanding is Ms. Howian is not here as the applicant to build this project herself. She's here to build it on behalf of a company called Legacy Group Capital. And so I don't know what, if, if Mr. Gribben asked Ms. Howian, did you, do you have anything in your emails that wasn't before the city? All I know is Mr. Gribben stated a knowing falsehood, which is that none exist. That's all I know. And he's wrong about both of those two points about what's in this email. And he's wrong about the scope of this appeal. Mr. Mr. Gribben, if you could clarify who you represent. Um, yes, my represent the applicant, Maura Hoyan, on behalf of Legacy. And it's a little disingenuous what Mr. Intelligence said there, because we we're having a conversation about who I might represent in the quiet title lawsuit. And I said I have not been formally retained by anyone on that respect. And that was the, the substance of those conversations. There's a notice of appeal. They're both consistent. They both identify the applicant, Maura Hoyan. He's just trying to make issues here where none exist. My so, issue right, is um, a falsehood. Um, let me, Ms. Kroll, I think you had wanted to speak. Yes. <clears throat> the the uh, rules for the hearing examiner in the city of Kirkland do provide that there can be discovery for an open record hearing. This is an open record hearing. Um, there has been discussion of what was before the city during the approval process versus what can be allowed at this open record hearing. Everything comes in at the open record hearing. Um, the fact that there was, was um, the easement validity was not raised at the level uh, when this, at, at the city level, when the uh, decision was being issued is true. It wasn't. Doesn't mean it can't be raised here. And the city immediately brought a motion to dismiss that issue because it can't decide who owns title to property. The city's not saying you can't have that decided and it won't affect the city's decision. It absolutely may affect the city's decision. So um, I don't know if there was miscommunication on that issue or if the um, appellant is making an emotional plea to the hearing examiner um, saying that the city has contended um, that its issue should be affirmed no matter what comes in in the open record appeal. And that is not true. Um, and, and I think we made that very clear with our motion. We don't know the answer to this question now that there has been some additional 
information submitted. And that that's where we're at. The city just wants to enforce its code and rules and regulations, and the decision will be whatever the decision is going to be. I think, however, that I must um, make it very clear that although discovery is allowed at this stage, it does not say discovery pursuant to the civil rules of procedure. Um, it is intended to be an open record hearing. I think discovery is allowed so that all of the facts and circumstances that are known to the parties can be brought forward at the open record hearing. Mr. Telligen can clearly ask for continuance. If he wants the city's documents that we can't provide in the time limit he gave us, then he can ask for more time. We just can't do this any faster. And um, in regular discovery in a litigation under the civil rules, people ask for additional time to respond to discovery requests routinely. It is almost impossible for any party in any civil litigation, mind you, I've been a city attorney for seven years. I've practiced law since 1988. And I was in, in private practice for most of those times prior to the seven years. And I was in hundreds of litigation, civil litigation matters. And it is rare for anyone to complete discovery within 30 days. Here he's saying, he wants the city's public records request department, which receives numerous public records requests daily that take them weeks and months to respond to, to immediately respond to his in 30 days. And by God, they did their best. I asked them to. I said, please do your best. Please put this on top. Please prioritize this. And they did their best. But I don't think he understands that he's asking for a favor and that um, he's trying to enforce it by exclusion. If he would like a continuance, he can ask for a continuance. Let me just jump in here. Um, so just to clarify, yes, it, this is an open record hearing. There are some uh, discovery questions um, out there. Um, uh, certainly, I think we're going we're gonna to go ahead and proceed today, but um, there are, if, if we need to, and again, we haven't seen kind of all the, I haven't seen all the exhibits that the, the parties plan to introduce today, uh, but certainly uh, I have tools available if need be in terms of keeping the record open or even continuing the hearing or so forth. Um, but I guess my inclination, um, and, and there may be some evidentiary rulings based upon uh, what is proposed based on uh, the objections that were raised in Mr. Telligen's letter that came in yesterday. So I think what I would like to do uh, is go ahead and proceed with the hearing uh, this morning, hear uh, the witnesses, uh, get as much completed as we can, and then there may be some outstanding questions um, in terms of hearing continuance and so forth that we can address at uh, the end of the hearing. Um, are the parties amenable to that? Yes. That's fine with the applicant. Yes. Okay. And so, Your Honors, I understand it. It seemed like that if, if at the end of the hearing it appears that um, Mr. Telligen and his client would like the city to respond to his further records request. We could keep the matter open. The city would give him time to allow its public records division to go through those records. We can't just produce 373 documents. 
they have to be viewed for privilege and a privilege log has to be made. So that is not something the city can just give Mr. Telogen. Um, and and I, you know, that is that is why we didn't just do it. Um, however, we're perfectly fine with leaving the record open. If he finds something when we produce those documents, he would like to come back on, the city will come back. Uh, I would just yes, like Mr. to I'd just like to clarify in my comment letter, I didn't say you know, bag on the city for not giving the 300 emails. It's part of the context, and it's primarily part of the context because of Mr. Gribben's response. My primary point, my primary concern is the applicant's straight up refusal to give me anything and straight up stating of a falsehood that none exist when they obviously exist. That's the problem that I raised. Uh, just, just to be clear, um, the 300 documents, I don't know why they haven't been submitted, but I didn't raise that in my comment letter. It was about the applicant. Okay, thank you for the clarification. Um, I think I understand each of the parties kind of nuances on this and their their various positions. Um, this this will be an issue that we may have to address as the hearing proceeds, um, and certainly we'll address it uh, once witness uh, testimony has concluded. So I think at this point, you know, we could take a. I guess it's mid morning. I remembered at ten eleven. We could take a short break. Uh, and then go into, um, I guess we would start with the, the city is I think what's been agreed to. Um, the, would the parties like a short break and then we'll start with, yes, Ms. Kroll. Oh, I was just voting for a short break, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay, all right. Um, so it's 10-11, let's reconvene at uh, 10-30 then. Very good. Thank you very much. Madam, Madam Hearing Examiner, just very briefly for everyone in the Zoom line, do not exit the uh, the Zoom link, um, even for lunch, as we will be uh, using the exact same line. Um, I will be pausing the recording during the breaks and lunches. Um, and um, as soon as I, is there a specific time that we will be returning um, just so I can get this recording going at, at that time. Yeah, 10.30 a.m. for the first break, yes. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Thank you. All right, thank you all. You certainly can turn off your video and audio, uh, but otherwise, yes, don't exit. See you all in at 10.30. And the recording. Okay, we are now back on the record, 10.30 a.m. Uh, on Wednesday morning. Um, I think at this point we were going to hear, the, or the sit, we're turning to the department and the department was going to be calling its first witness. Is that correct? Yes. I, I did want to just address that discovery issue just very briefly, Madam Examiner. Mm -hmm. So I, I did have a, a quick conversation with Ms. Hoyan during the break, and it looks like there was a, a miscommunication with us regarding whether it was her email to search for communications or other folks at Legacy. Again, she was the applicant. All of the communications likely would have been in her email. But just out of an abundance of caution, we are checking with any other folks at Legacy to confirm whether or not there were any other communications that would be responsive to Mr. Telogen's discovery request. Um, if there are, we'll produce those as soon as we have them. And then I suppose we could, we could address issues related to that um, once, once we determine whether or not there are any additional communications. Okay. Um, any, thank you for that clarification, Mr. Gribben. Um, I don't know if there are any comments from the parties, but otherwise we'll turn to the department. Um, Thank you. Ms. Yes, Ms. Kroll, did you want, wish to call your first witness? Yes, I'd like to call Martha Rubart. And um, I don't know if the hearing examiner wants to uh, swear in Nick Salufo at the same time or just Ms. Rubart. 
Uh, we'll just do it one at a time, I guess. If uh, yeah, probably sounds like we'll proceed in order with Ms. Rubar going first and then Mr. Salufo. Okay. Okay. All right, uh, Ms. Rubart, if you could state your name for the record. Martha Rubart. And you swear from to tell the truth under penalty of perjury under the laws of the state of Washington? I do. Thank you. And you may proceed when you are ready. Okay. Um, good morning, everyone. My name is Martha Rubart. I am the project planner for the Fin Hill 8 short plot that we will be discussing today. Um, and that is under appeal. I will send these slides to you, Madam Hearing Examiner, to be entered into the record. Okay. Um, we haven't seen the whole PowerPoint as yet. I assume there's no objection to admitting the PowerPoint at this point. <clears throat> no objection from the applicant. Okay. Mr. Telligen, do you have any objection to the PowerPoint? Oh, sorry. No, I don't. Thank you. Okay, the PowerPoint is admitted. Okay, <clears throat> this will be a brief presentation to go over the projects and or the project and the issues that are under appeal. Just a moment, we're having trouble with our screen. Okay, and I can see, I see project background is what I'm looking at right now. Oh, the city maps now. And I, I did something that messed this up and we're trying to uh, go up and hide. Okay, we're ready to go. Um, so just a brief project background on the timeline of this project. Um, uh, Maura Hoyen with Legacy Group Capital applied for a process one permit to subdivide a 30,591 square foot, foot parcel located at address 8230 Northeast 117th Street into four single family parcels on January 24th of 2022. Um, and then on March 1st of 2023, the planning director conditionally approved the proposal and then on March 14th of 2023, Brian Telligen submitted a timely appeal letter on behalf of Overlook at Finn Hill Homeowners Association and Irene Justina. I believe I'm pronouncing that correct. If you are, thank you. Yes, thanks. So here are some maps of the subject property. Um, the map on the left shows the Finn Hill neighborhood that this property is located in. Um, it also shows the zoning designations of the surrounding area. Um, and as you can see in this map, it's located within a developed area of the city, located within this middle of the city of Kirkland. Um, it is not a rural area. Um, the map on the right shows the immediate block that the subject property is on. And as you can see, it's a flag-shaped lot um, that has a panhandle that extends down and connects to Northeast 117th Street. So here's the proposed short plot map. Um, the applicant proposed to subdivide this parcel into four single family lots. 
And that is what was approved. It's a four lot short plat. Um, you can see the lot configuration here. Um, all of the lots meet the minimum lot size. Um, this is also what was posted on the site. Um, it's very typical to show this type of um, site plan of the proposal on the property. Um, and you can see on the right here a photo of the notice of proposal sign that was posted right in front of the property facing the right of way at the end of the panhandle. Um, and you can see on that sign that this map is located on the right side there. And then on this map as well, it does note this easement that is located on the property that is to the east of the subject property's panhandle, um, which I will refer to this property as the Justina property. Um, and you can see here, it notes the recording number. Um, yeah. So some more background about this proposal. Um, the applicant opted to go through the integrated development plan process, also known as IDP. Um, this is an optional process and it allows for the city to um, determine and analyze tree retention at the um, short plot stage of the project so that the um, subsequent land service modification permit and building permits um, can be reviewed more um, expeditiously. Um, so the applicant was required to provide this level of detail that's shown on this on this uh, map here. Um, you can see the building footprints, the driveways, um, and the other site improvements look uh, shown here. But this is not what was approved with this decision. The, this level of detail was only provided solely for the purpose of tree retention review. And the structures and the improvements will be further scrutinized with future land service modification permit and building permits. So to get into the appeal, um, the appeal letter identified 10 issues that are under appeal. Um, and since the appeal letter was submitted, the appellant voluntarily dismissed two of these items, which I've crossed out here. Um, the remaining eight issues are density compliance with the regulations of the RSA 6 zone, validity of an existing access easement on adjacent property to the east of the subject property's panhandle, the Justina property, um, road and traffic conditions, parking, access width, compliance with the short plot approval criteria, dedication required on the Justina property, and authority and right to disturb and install improvements on adjacent properties. And I will speak to each one of these. <clears throat> so <clears throat> the first appeal item has to do with density. Um, the appellants challenge the density compliance of this project um, with the RSS, RSA 6 zone um, because of the proposed accessory dwelling units that were shown on that site plan that I showed in the previous in a slide or two ago. Um, and 
first and foremost, just to be clear, there are no structures that have been approved with this decision. Um, any um, plans for an ADU on the site or single family um, structures on the site um, will be reviewed with future building permits. But um, chapter 115.07 of the Kirkland Zoning Code does state that ADUs are not considered dwelling units in the context of special regulations in chapter 15, which limit the number of detached dwelling units on each lot to one. And then in chapter 15, there's a special regulation 17 under the density dimension section that specifies the maximum density for RSA 6 zone. Um, and the maximum is six units per acre. And under that same special regulation, there is a statement at the bottom that says that um, in the RSA 6 zone, no more than one dwelling unit may be on each lot. Um, this six units per acre regulation and the no more than one dwelling unit on each lot are all under the same special regulation. They are interrelated regulations. Um, they determine the density, the number of units per acre and the number of units per lot. Um, and um, therefore, um, special regulation 17 um, is a special regulation that limits the number of detached dwelling units to one and therefore ADUs are not considered dwelling units for the purposes of calculating density and calculating the um, maximum number of units per lot. And I want to make it clear that the appellant's interpretation that the exception for ADUs counting as dwelling units um, only applies to one part of this special regulation is incorrect. It's all under one special regulation 17. The next appeal item is the access easement that is located on the Justina property. And I have included the same snippet here on the right that um, was posted at the time of application and shows this access easement. This drawing was um, done by a licensed surveyor um, and reflects the legal boundaries and existing easements on the property survey. And the property survey itself can be found in attachment three of the appeal staff report that was sent out. So the summary of this um, appeal item is that the appellants claim that this easement um, does not exist or is invalid. And the city's response to this is that um, the material submitted with the short plot application, which included a title report, property survey, and the recorded document of this easement all show that there is a recorded ingress, egress, and utility easement on the Justina property in favor of the subject property, and that the city does not decide title to real property, and that validity of this easement should be settled outside of this proceeding. <clears throat> so the next appeal item is road and traffic conditions. Um, the appellants claim that the proposed development will exacerbate existing problematic road conditions in the surrounding neighborhood. Um, 
And the response to this is that Northeast 117th Street is a neighborhood access type street and currently meets the minimum pavement width for the R20 neighborhood access type street pursuant to the zoning code. Um, the project will be required to install right-of-way improvements along the project frontage as is required by the zoning code. Um, and traffic analysis and any um, mitigation requirements were not um, required with this four lot short plot because it does not trip those requirements in the State Environmental Policy Act, SEPA, um, and concurrency review. Um, so those are the two processes that we would require traffic analysis through. Um, the Washington Administrative Code, um, WAC 197 11 d establishes the categorical exemptions for SEPA requirements and specifically states that short plots are exempt from SEPA. And then our code, the Municipal Code Chapter 24, which is the Environmental procedure, Procedures, um, adopts the wax categorical exemptions for SEPA. And then in Chapter 25 of the Municipal Code, um, which is the city's concurrency chapter, um, the city adopts the same categorical exemptions as it um, in the WAC, um, unless the construction is estimated to result in 40 or more person trips with which this um, project does not trip that threshold. And so both concurrency and SEPA were not required and therefore no traffic analysis is required by code. The next appeal item is parking. <clears throat> The appellants claim that a lack of street parking and inadequate on-site parking for the development will have an impact on the neighborhood and create trespass issues. Um, and parking compliance will be reviewed with future building permits, um, but just to, based on the um, preliminary plans that were submitted with the IDP process, it does appear that this, um, project will comply with the parking requirements and actually exceed the parking requirements. So the code requires two parking spaces for a detached dwelling unit. And then if one ADU is proposed on each lot, there are no additional parking requirements for the ADUs. Um, and any concern about trespass issues is presumptuous and unsupported. The next appeal item is access width. <clears throat> um, which also is related to the um, access easement comment. Um, and um, the appellants claim that the short plat does not meet the access width requirements in the zoning code because it relies on that, that easement over the Justina property that they claim doesn't exist. Um, and as I said before, with, with the materials that were submitted to the city, including the recorded easement, including a survey and a title report, um, the proposal complies with the access requirements in the zoning code.
The next appeal item is dedication and improvements on the Justina property. Um, the appellants contend that the applicant does not have the right to dedicate or improve any portion of the Justina property. And as I've said before, um, pursuant to the reported easement shown on the title report, the subject property is the dominant estate of the easement on the area on the Justina property. And the city has the authority to apply the right-of-way improvement requirements and standards of the zoning code to the existing easement with the development of the subject property. And dedication is not required on the Justina property. The next appeal item um, is land ownership and authority. The appellants contend that the applicant violated um, chapter 145.15 of the zoning code by applying for a process one decision on property that they don't own. And staff's response to this um, along the same lines is that based on the title report and easement provided to the city, the owner of subject property holds a property interest as the dominant estate in the easement area on the Justina property. And for the Overlook property, which is um, the HOA to the um, west of the subject property, um, this property contains easements granted to the North Shore Utility District that allow for certain re utility related construction on this property. And the short plot application does not pro propose development on adjacent property beyond the rights conveyed in those easements. Um, the last appeal item that I'm going to, um, is short plot approval criteria. Um, the appellants contend that the project doesn't comply with the short plot approval criteria in the municipal code, chapter 22.20.140. Um, and the reason for this, um, they kind of vaguely recite all of the issues and perceived impacts that I've already spoken to, like traffic and um, density and impacts to the neighboring properties. Um, and then they state that the project isn't consistent with public health, safety, and welfare based on those. Um, and there are two criteria in this code section. Criteria A is that there are adequate provisions for various elements, including open spaces, drainage ways, rights of way, parks, schools, et cetera. Um, and criteria B is that the short plat will serve the public use and interest and is consistent with the public health, safety, and welfare. And as I've addressed in the previous slides, the proposal fully complies with all development regulations and the development regulations are in place to standardize and implement these two criteria. Um, and so if the short plot complies with all of development regulations, it will comply with this short plot approval criteria. Um, additionally, the project is consistent with public health, safety and welfare because the proposal is consistent with the comprehensive plan of the city of Kirkland. Um, it will add housing stock to the community to meet the community's projected growth and needs. Um, it provides housing in an urbanized area where infrastructure and utilities already exist. And it fulfills the city's obligations to accommodate growth under the Washington State's Growth Management Act. So in conclusion, um, the onus is on the appellant to prove that the planning director's decision was incorrect. 
um, staff does not believe that appellants have proven that the decision was incorrect. Um, and after considering all argument within the scope of the appeal, the hearing examiner shall take one of the following actions. She shall affirm the decision being appealed, reverse the decision being appealed, or modify the decision being appealed. And staff's recommendation is that if the hearing examiner finds there is no evidence to dispute title in the access easement area on the Justina property, then staff recommends the decision be affirmed in full. And if the hearing examiner finds that there is evidence to dispute title in the access easement area on the Justina property, then the hearing examiner may order the applicant and appellant to clear title outside of this proceeding. And staff would recommend that the remaining issues that are not related to title in the decision be affirmed. Thank you, that's it. Thank you, Ms. Rubart. Are there any questions? Uh, for Ms. Can I follow up with um, some direct examination? Oh, yes. Okay, we'll do that first and then we'll turn to Cross. All right. So, um, Ms. Rubart, let you take a drink there. Thank you. <laughs> it's okay. Um, you indicated um, that there was a sign placed on the property that um, provided the notice that this development was going to occur. Is that correct? That's correct. And that um, the sign contained a map showing that the proposal was going to be relying on a recorded easement on the Giustina property, is that correct? Yes, it showed that easement on the Giustina property. And it, re and it even provided the recording number to that easement. That's right? correct, yeah. All right, and, did, and was this something that all of the neighbors could see, including Ms. Giustina? Yes. All right, and um, was the uh, the uh, easement area was that indicated on the site plans for this project? What do you mean by site plan? Uh, the plans did the plans show the easement area in addition to what we put on the notice? Yes. Okay. Yes. And do you know if Ms. Justina saw those plans with the easement? I do not know. Um, she submitted a public comment that said that she has um, looked at some plans. I'm not sure what plans. Okay. Are. So she, she looked at plans according to her public comment letter. Is that correct? Yeah. And the plans you have show the easement. Is that correct? Correct. All right. But we can't read her mind. We don't know exactly what she looked at. Right. Okay. Um, so uh, with regard to density, I just wanted to um, clarify your testimony there. Are ADUs counted as dwelling units for the purpose of calculating density in the zone where this development is located? No. And is that um, made clear in our code through at chapter 115.07 uh, at special regulation DD-17? Yes, it is clear. Okay. Um, and the uh, appellant says that it is not clear. Can you explain why their, um, what you received from them in writing, can you explain why their interpretation is not the city's interpretation? Yes, um, so the appellant says that the um, 
chapter 115.07, where it says that ADUs shall not be considered dwelling units in the context of special regulations. Um, they say that that only applies to the portion of this special regulation that limits the um, number of dwelling units to one per lot. But that portion of this special regulation is only a portion of it. It's the, the density allowances in RSA 6 is right above there. And that is all under the same special regulation, special re regulation 17. And the appellant also says that those are two separate things, density and um, number of units or number of dwelling units per lot. And that is not true. I mean, we would not be able to calculate and determine what the density means if it wasn't made clear that no more than one dwelling unit per lot is permitted. Um, so those two parts of that special, special regulation go hand in hand and are all under the same special regulation that um, this exemption for ADUs applies to. Okay, so it applies to both number of dwelling units per lot and calculating the density per lot. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay, and the appellant says it applies only to number of dwelling units per lot, not right. density. Right. Okay, and that you're saying the code is integrated and it applies to both dwelling units per lot and to density. Right, because both of those pieces are under the same special regulation. Okay, thank you. Um, now, uh, we heard in your testimony that there is an appeal issue on road and traffic conditions in the neighborhood. And um, I wanted to ask you specifically, um, can you, when you're approving a four lot short plat in this neighborhood, consider road conditions that are not um, contiguous with the short plat? Um, no, only the road conditions or the right of way right in front of the um, parcel that will be developed is considered. And um, we only have regulations for right of way improvements for the frontage in front of the subject property. Okay, would you be able to require a developer of a short plat to um, make frontage improvements along a portion of the street that is not contiguous to his property? No. Generally, no, correct? Correct. And um, is that because the uh, amount of improvements you can require is limited in some respects? Yes, it is limited to what would be the direct impact of this development, which would be right in front of the, um, of the project that will be developed. Um, the any right-of-way deficiencies elsewhere in the neighborhood, um, we can't require a developer to mend those deficiencies um, because they already exist and they are not a direct impact of this development. All right, but can the neighbors request road improvements in their neighborhood in a different manner from the city? Yes, we have a program for that. Um, the neighborhood safety program, which is connected with the capital improvement projects in the city. Um, and so they can request 
right-of-way improvements um, through that program. All right, and you said that that's tied to um, the capital improvements in the city. Correct. What, what are capital improvements? Um, they are improvements to rights-of-way or to other parts of the city um, that is funded by the city to improve them for, for the whole community. Um, it applies to infrastructure such as streets. Right. All right. And um, how does the city determine where they're going to spend their capital improvement budget? The city council will determine that. Right. So the citizens can request through the neighborhood. I'm sorry, what's it called? Neighborhood safety program. I believe that's correct. Okay. And then that will go to the city council to determine if if the city council has enough money to spend on their neighborhood street versus someone else who's requesting the money. Correct. All right. Um, now, um, there, uh, you addressed uh, parking. That was a, another issue raised in the appeal and raised in public comment. And does the city require parking for accessory dwelling units or ADUs in this zone? Um, the city, so if one ADU is proposed on a lot, there are no additional parking requirements beyond the parking requirements for the primary detached filling unit. If two ADUs are proposed on a lot, then there are some provisions that, um, it, it depends on proximity to public transit, it depends on availability of street parking, um, but that only applies if there are two ADUs proposed on a site. Okay, so based on other considerations, if you have two ADUs on the site, the city could require additional parking. Correct. All right, and so um, in the present case, are the structures or ADUs that were shown on the preliminary plan, are you approving those as part of the short plan approval? No, I'm not. They're only required to be shown for the purposes of tree retention review. Um, and the applicant actually could change their plans and um, remove those ADUs um, as long as it doesn't impact the tree retention for the project. All right. And in fact, they showed ADUs and additional parking for ADUs on their plan, didn't they? Yes. Okay, so even though we wouldn't require it, they kind of proposed it, but they might or might not build it. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's an issue for a different day under a different permit. Is that correct? That's correct. All right. So I don't think I have any additional direct questions for Ms. Rubart, but um, if she has, if other council have questions for her, they can ask now. Okay. Uh, thank you, Ms. Kroll. So we will turn to the other council on this. And as noted earlier, this is cross as well as uh, direct, at least for portions that go beyond the scope of what we heard. So. Is it uh, my turn, Madam Examiner? Well, I was just debating that. I guess, I mean, uh, Mr. Gribben, because I guess you're, um, would yours be characterized properly as cross or as uh, direct since you're aligned mostly well, with the city? Right. So, so I was thinking, as I mentioned earlier, since we're going after the appellant on our case, that 
I would try and get everything done here with her uh, testimony, but to the extent I needed to address something that the appellants raised, I would reserve the right to recall her. Uh, yeah. I just mean in terms of the questioning, whether you would, you or Mr. Telligent should go first right now. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking we would follow the same, the same order, city appellants applicant, but I'll, I'll, whatever Madame Examiner prefers. Okay, uh, Mr. Telligen, would you like to go first, or I, I would. <laughs> I hear arguments yes. either way, so I, I, I would, and, and like Mr. Riven, I would uh, reserve the right for redirect afterwards. Understood. Uh, so, uh, first of all, good morning, Mr. Bart. Um, uh, you should know, uh, first of all, uh, that my clients have spoken about how nice you have been uh, in this oh. process. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, could you tell me? Uh, you said you were the project planner. Uh, is that your official title with the city or is that just like a your designation for this particular project? Um, my official title for the city is planner. That's just designation for this project. Uh-huh. And project planner, what does that mean? Um, that means that I am in charge of the project review for the planning department. Mm -hmm. uh, the planning department also is in charge of kind of these process one permits um with the noticing and decision okay i noticed um uh, what uh in the powerpoint presentation that you gave trying to find the page here uh there was a page where you had listed the appellants um uh uh issues um let me see one two three well, I won't count. You had listed you had listed the 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 appellants issues, and then you had you had said uh, I thought you had said well I'm covering these, and the one you left off was compliance with short plat approval criteria, which, as I understand the staff reports, dealing mostly with traffic and stuff like that. Uh, but then you went ahead and sort of talked about that a little bit. Were you involved in reviewing all aspects of this proposal, or was there like a division of labor between you and other people? Um. So. So for the for the presentation, I decided to just present on that last since it, it kind of had to do with all of the other items. Mm -hmm. uh, and for the division of labor, so we have a public works engineer that's also on this project and um, building and fire also review it, but don't really provide much comment at this stage of the project. Mm -hmm. um, so it's primarily just planning and public works that does the review. And then um, I will draft that staff report and then um, receive help from my supervisor, who is Nick in this case. Um, and once we decide that the staff report is ready to go, then we um, send it over to the planning director for his review and his sign off on it. Okay. As I'm asking you questions, um, if there are topics or areas where I ask you a question where you didn't really do the work on that, but maybe Mr. Um, is it Salufo did, could, could you let me know that? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Uh, so can you tell me a little bit about your education, Ms. Rubart? Sure. Um, I have an under, undergrad degree from Seattle University mm -hmm. in environmental studies. Um, with a minor in math, um, and yep, that's it. Mm -hmm. And what year did you get that? 2019. And is that is that a BA or a master's degree? 
It's a BA. Uh huh. And how long have you been with the city of Kirkland? For about three and a half years. And have you always been a planner with the city of Kirkland? Um, no, I was hired on as an assistant planner and then was promoted. When were you promoted? Um, February of uh, 2021. February 2021. Um, how many, uh, let's see, when was the application filed in this case? Do you recall off the top of your head about what month and what year? January of 2022. January of 2022? Yes. Okay. Can you hear me okay? I can. Can you hear me okay. all right? Hey, yeah, just want to make sure. Uh-huh. Uh, so that you heard some discussion earlier about the applicant is you understand the applicant is legacy capital, uh, legacy group capital. Correct. Uh -huh. I noticed, and this is not to throw anybody under the bus just because I was confused. I noticed that in one of the hearing examiner's orders, she had listed DK Wozniak design build LLC and fin eight LLC as applicants. Are, are they applicants here? Um, no, I believe they're property, the property owners. They're the property owners. Okay. Do you know who Benjamin Iddens is? Yes. Who's that? Um, someone who works for Legacy Group Capital and I've had some correspondence with. Uh-huh. And Thomas. <laughs> yeah. And Thomas Morris. Yes. Also the same, someone on the applicant side. Okay. Uh, during your project review, uh, did you ever visit the project site? I did, yes. And when did you do that? Um, I I want to say April of 2022. Mm -hmm. Do you know what day was like on the weekend, during the work week? It was during the work week. I don't remember uh -huh. the exact date. Uh, is that something you do for all your projects? Yes. And actually, I was the one who did the public posting. So um, we have to go out to the site in order to do that. I see. Okay, so you put the sign up that you were referencing in your earlier testimony. I um, stapled the materials to the sign, but the applicant is required to install the sign itself. I see, okay. Anybody else from the city, to your knowledge, visit the site as part of the review of this project? Um, not to my knowledge. Okay. Uh, the planning director's decision did you draft that? Yes. Mm -hmm. And the staff report, did you draft that also? Yes. How about the PowerPoint presentation that you showed? Was that your work or was that somebody else's? That was my work. Okay. So you wrote all the text in there? Yes. Okay. Um, so project location, uh, you know, and everybody here knows, right? You, you talked about that the project, I think you referred to it as a flag shape. So it has the, what everybody's called is the panhandle coming down to 117th, right? Right. Do you know how wide that panhandle is? It's 15 feet wide. Okay. Do you know how wide uh, the paved access would be for this particular project? Um, I've, it's required to be 15 feet wide. 15 Six, feet? 16 feet. <laughs> 16 feet. Yeah. So, so the, the pavement required for this project um, has to be one foot wider than the panhandle, correct? Correct. Okay. And that's just the pavement. Right. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I'm curious, um, how did you come to the determination that it had to be 16 feet wide? Um, based on the zoning code, um, also based on the public works engineers um, conditions and um, approval. Mm -hmm. I'm just gonna try and pull something up here on my screen, bear with me. Do I have screen sharing capabilities? Oh, it looks like I do. Perfect. Um, can you see my screen, Mr. Bart? Yes. I'm looking at this provision, one zero, uh, the Kirkland Zoning Code 105.10. And I believe this was a provision referenced in your in your um, in the director's decision. And it starts off saying, um, when no fire department access road is required. And the access easement or tract will serve one to four detached dwelling units or one or two duplex structures. The minimum standard is 16 feet of unobstructed pavement in a 21 foot wide easement or tract. Is that the provision that you relied on in saying that the pavement needs to be 16 feet wide? Yes. Okay. Down here, it says for five or more detached dwelling units, a dedicated and improved public right-of-way is required. If they're proposing eight units, wouldn't it ultimately, I mean, wouldn't this be the applicable provision, not the first one? Um, they are only proposing four detached dwelling units, which is exactly what that code section says, detached dwelling units. So I thought they were proposing four lots, but the number of dwelling units still had to be determined. Well, the number of detached dwelling, I mean, this goes back to that same special regulation 17, which says that one detached dwelling unit may be on each lot. Mm -hmm. Doesn't so that, but, but that dispute, correct me if I'm wrong, that dispute is about the number of dwelling units that can be on the property. Mm -hmm. And there's an exception that talks about exempting ADUs from special regulations that limit the number of ADUs to one per lot. Isn't that right? So an ADU, an accessory dwelling unit is not equivalent to an, a detached dwelling unit. An ADU and a detached dwelling unit are both dwelling units, but they yeah. are not the same. Detached dwelling unit and ADU, accessory dwelling unit, are two different types. They're two different uses. So why is there an exemption saying that ADUs are exempt from uh, special regulations that would otherwise limit detached dwelling units to one per lot if they're not within that category? C can you repeat that? I think you just said that an ADU is not within the category of a detached dwelling unit, right? Correct. So why is there an exemption that says ADUs shall not be subject to special exactly. regulations that limit the number of dwelling units or detached dwelling units to one per lot? Why would why would they have that exception if they wouldn't be otherwise covered by that? That's the difference is that it says ADUs shall not be considered dwelling units. It doesn't say they shall not be considered detached dwelling units. I see. So your 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 position is no matter how many ADUs, 16 feet is adequate. Yes. Okay. And um, it sounds like you're pretty well versed in the topics of this appeal. Um, I had some language here. So, so you understand, right, that this appeal is raising issues about uh, an alleged easement across one of my client's lands, Miss Justina, correct? Right. 
and, and those issues as we've raised them, you know, basically boils down to whether the applicant has a right to use that easement to gain access to the proposed development. Is that your understanding? Yes. And that easement occupies basically a, a, a 15 foot strip of land just to the west of the panhandle. Um, just to the east of the panhandle. Yeah, you're right. East of the panhandle. So just real quick, everyone froze on our screen and we were disconnected and just rejoined. So I'm not exactly sure. I don't, I don't think it was too much time, but we missed the testimony um, after Ms. Uh, Rubard was talking about the distinctions between uh, dwelling units and detached dwelling units. I okay. just I was just running through the details of the access easement and making sure we were all on the same page about where it was and that sort of thing. So did you hear there were there was some back and forth on the uh, whether the um, 16 feet is the, if, if that's needed for four dwelling units versus uh, if you have more than that. And so there was there was a number of questions on that. Did you all hear that part? I, I did. I think you asked the question regardless of the amount of ADUs, only 16 feet would be required. And, and yes. Okay. And then, so then we were, we didn't, there did not much happen. It, we just moved to um, locate, uh, identifying um, Ms. Justina's land area and in the, the width uh, oh. of that access. Uh, I think that's correct, Mr. Telligen. Do I have that? Is my memory serve me correct? Yes, that's correct. Okay. So let's go ahead and proceed. I think we've caught everybody up. <laughs> okay. Um, what is your understanding of how the area within the easement or the purported easement, I'll just say easement, but you understand I'm challenging its existence. What is your understanding of how the area within the easement is used uh, today? Um, I understand that there's a hedge. Yeah, Madam Examiner, I'm just going to read, oh, I'm, I'm going to object to, I think, the line of questioning that's going to challenge the easement based upon the issues and claims that are now before Superior Court. I, I really think this hearing should be limited to, did the city have adequate information to determine that the easement exists? And everything related to the abandonment, to the adverse possession, to all the claims that the city acknowledges it does not have jurisdiction to determine. And I think uh, Madame Hearing Examiner acknowledged that at all, that that is now properly before Superior Court. And what is before, before the hearing examiner here is whether or not the city had adequate information to make that determination. I'm going to allow the, the question um, because it's helpful in terms of providing background information. Obviously, there's some legal theories that um, you know are within Superior Court purview, but um, I think at this point, um, the questions are kind of within the scope of what um, I uh, am properly looking at to understand kind of the appeal and the breadth of it. So I will allow the question. You can proceed, Ms. Rubart. Oh, right. Um, so I believe that there is a hedge along the western side of the easement area. Um, there's also the um, driveway that provides access to the Justina property within this area. Okay. Um, you said so it was a hedge and a driveway. I'm sorry, was there something else in, in the Eastman area that you were aware of? Um, I believe just other site improvements, landscaping, fence, um, retaining walls, but no structures. Okay. Does anybody use the easement today or do you know if anybody's used the easement in the past 
you know, what, 10 years to reach the development property? Objection to the extent of calls for speculation. I asked what she knew. She either knows or I, she knows. I don't know. Okay. Um, what is your understanding of how the applicant intends to use the easement or like what kind of improvements are going to be put there? Um, an access drive um, mm -hmm. that would provide access to the four lot short plot. Okay. I'm going to share my screen again. Can you see my screen, Ms. Rubart? Yes. And it looks like you're looking from far away. So let me know if you need me to zoom in further. This is um, part of the attachments to the staff report. Madam Examiner, are all the attachments to the staff report already admitted? I, is that within the admitted, bundle? Yes, I admitted them at the outset and there was no objection at the time. So yes, those are part of the record. <laughs> okay, uh, so this is sheet C10 of the applicant short plat plans and it's called road right-of-way improvement plan. Can you see that? Yes. Mm -hmm. If I zoom in, um, it looks like the the lower tip of the panhandle is outlined in black. Is that your understanding? Yes. Okay. And then you see this sort of, there's this sort of patterned area that has like little dots and little triangles. Do you see that area? Sort of it extends from here to here. Do you see that? Yes. And if I go over to the legend, it looks like that's concrete. That represents concrete. Yes. Is it your understanding that the applicant is intending to pave that entire area? Yes, that is my understanding. Okay. And there's some circles here. Do you know what those represent or some sort of half circles? Um, those are typically clouds that um, indicate revisions and in plans. I'm not sure what they mean here. Okay. All right. But it is your understanding, though, that you know, that I'm not sure what the actual footage is, but, but this area, at least width-wise, basically across their property line, they're going to pave over onto Miss Justina's property. Right. And then if I also look, you see this area down here where it's all dotted. Mm -hmm. If I go over to the legend, uh, that's asphalt. Um, and it shows them paving uh, up beyond Miss Justina's southern boundary line or the property or property boundary. So in sort of, uh, if I can find a tool here. So in sort of this area, uh, it's white right there. And it's not quite very good, but that, they're gonna pave on her property there too, correct? Um, That is what the plans show. I do want to note that um, these plans will be reviewed and approved with the future land service modification permit. Mm -hmm. uh, improvements have not been approved at this stage. Okay. But that's their plan right now. Yes, that is what their plans show. Yeah. Okay. And fair to say, since they have to have 16 feet of concrete in a, in a 15, there's a, the paint handle is only 15, white, uh, 15 feet wide. At the very least, they would have to extend their, their pavement a foot over onto her property. Right. Okay. Uh, just one second. Uh, did you review the public comments in this case? I did, yes. Okay. Uh, this is a comment by Janice Orr, who I believe testified earlier today. Um, 
do you recall, is it, would this have been one of the comments that you reviewed? I can show yeah. you down at the right, it's page 79, I believe of attachment one to the um, staff report. Mm -hmm. Yes, I did review this. Okay, I'm gonna go down to the end. There's some images that Ms. Orr provided. And first I'm gonna look at this, I'm gonna talk about this bottom image. Can you see that? Yes. Uh, there's a yellow arrow here and it's pointing to, uh, looks like a roadway. What is that roadway? That is the subject properties um, existing driveway. Okay. And oh, then just the, for, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, Mr. Dillon, just for clarification, what's the AR number on this, the, this photograph? Yeah, 83. Okay, thank 83, you. yes. So the, the, the yellow arrow is pointing to the driveway to the, sub, to the development property, correct? Correct. And then uh, to the right of that, there's another driveway. Do you know whose driveway that is? That is the Justina driveway. Okay, so if the applicant has to pave over onto Miss Justina's land, what's going to happen to this big hedge that you see right here in the middle? It would need to be removed. I see. So they're going to so the to your knowledge, the applicant plans to chop that hedge down. Objection calls for speculation. I don't. That I would think that's something the planning department would know. Um, and. <laughs> On, on that in terms of the access and improvements. Um, but but of course, uh, if you do not know the answer to that, then so state. <laughs> yes, it would need to be removed. Okay. Uh, and then I'm gonna zoom in here. You can sort of, it's, still, it's a little pixelated, uh, but when you look down at the end to Miss Justina's driveway, what's at the end of her driveway there? Do you know? It looks like a tree. A tree. Okay, um, and it looks like some other vegetation. Would any of that need to be removed? Um, if it's within the area of where the access drive would be, yes. Okay. I'm gonna move on here. Uh, this is a copy of the Arborist report that was submitted to you. This is AR-139. I guess not quite AR, but staff report attachment one, page 139. Uh, did you review the Arborist report? I did. Uh-huh. Um, I'm going to jump to page 10 of that document. I'm going to look at this first photograph. Uh, do you know where those trees are located that we're looking at in this photograph? I do. Mr. Tellington, just if you could, I, I'm referring to the AR number, but that blue number at the bottom. Oh, yes. Sorry. Yeah. Page 148. Thank you, that helps. Yes, it's the top photo on page 148. Mr. Bart, do you know where those trees are located? Um, if my memory is serving, um, they are located on the subject property um, right along the southern property line. Uh-huh. Um, okay, do you know where they are in relation to the easement? They are located right in front of the easement. And in front, do you, I mean, in practical terms, if someone were wanted to drive down the easement onto the, onto the subject property, they would need to drive through these trees right now, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Do you know how, uh, do you know who planted those trees? No. Did you inquire of anybody who planted those trees? No. And there's a fence behind those trees. Um, do you know who installed the fence? No, I do not. Did you ask anybody who installed the fence? No. Okay. 
uh, moving on. Uh, you had mentioned the topographic survey in your uh, testimony, and you would, I think you'd refer to attachment three of the staff report. I forget the context, but this is, this right. is that exhibit, yeah. attachment three. Uh, if you look down at the bottom, it's the large document, but it looks like it's page 202. Have you reviewed this document? Yes. And did you re review it during your project review? Yes. I'm going to zoom in. No, I've, I've actually altered this document a hair. Uh, this blue line or the blue shading I've added, uh, but I've added it to sort of call that feature uh, to make it visible or to make it more easily visible. Do you know what that is? Um, no. Did you ask anybody what that is when you were reviewing the project? Wait, can you can you repeat what you said before this? You yeah, asked, so so um, this is this is the topographic survey, attachment A. I've altered it by I'm selecting it here. I've added this blue shading. You see that there's like the shading is within these black lines. Right. Okay. I've just I've just shaded it to show the feature I'm talking about, but the black lines were there originally. Okay. Do you know what that feature is? Um just based on my knowledge of um Plan review, I would guess that that is a wall. Okay. Do you know what the wall is made of? No. Do you know how tall the wall is? I do not. Do you know if there's fill material behind the other side of the wall, the north side of the wall? I would object that this is just eliciting speculation at this point. Uh, Ms. Robart testified that she would guess it's a wall, but it doesn't sound like she has any personal knowledge. Well, it's not speculation. And, she can say what she doesn't know. Uh, at this point, I'm going to allow the questions to continue. Do, do you know if there's fill material on the north side of that wall? I don't. Are these questions you asked anybody during your project review? Objection. I would just say that this is a reminder that this is project review of a short plat, not a building permit. And the questions being asked would be asked at the time of building permit approval, not short plat approval. So I'm, I, I think that this is uh, misleading and unnecessary questioning at this time. So the parties have well, had I, a- oh, I'm gonna allow the question. I, I think it does relate to access. That is something the city does have to look at and to address access, you do need to know, uh, I think having a sense on, in terms of what's on the ground. So I will allow the question. <laughs> Did you ask anybody about this feature during your project review? I did not. Okay. I'm going to stop sharing for one moment so I can find your PowerPoint presentation. Ah, there it is. So during uh, your testimony, you spent some time talking about the sign that was posted on the project site. Um, I think it was, this is slide four and then slide five, correct? Yes. And um, what date was that sign posted or about, or what month do you recall? Um, April of 2022. April of 2022. Yeah, okay. exact date. And as I recall, didn't the comment period end on May 2nd, 2022? Yes. So did the posting of this side of this sign coincide with the beginning of the comment period? 
Yes, which would have been 18 days prior to the end of the comment period. Okay. Um, so you had talked about how this uh, image showed the easement, correct? Yes. Does this, did the sign say that the applicant intended to um, use the easement? Um, it didn't explicitly say that the applicant intended to use the easement, no. Did, did it say that the applicant might have to chop down the hedge that we talked about earlier? Um, no. Okay. Did it give any indication whatsoever other than showing the boundaries of the easement that the applicant intended to do anything with the easement? So on the public notice sign, there is information for how to obtain more details about the proposal. And so the, that information could have been found um, through that link. Okay. Do you know if Ms. Justina was home when you put this sign up? I do not know. Okay. All right. Uh, let me get my next. So just give me a second. Start sharing again. Uh, now I'm on, I'm back into the A, into the attachments to the staff report. This is page 75. Uh, this is Miss Justina's comment letter dated May 2nd, 2022. Uh, did you review this document as part of your project review? Yes. Okay. Earlier, um, you said that her, I believe you said in your testimony that Miss Justina's comment letter said that she looked at plans. Do you know where you saw that in here? Um. <clears throat> I mean, she speaks to details about the... Um... And I can scroll down if you'd like me to. Yeah, it says it is unclear on the map as to how the ingress and egress. She also speaks to details about the four homes and four ADUs. Um, so it would appear that she looked at some plans. Or I see. But when, but the map could be the map that was on the sign, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And I will note that the map on the sign does not show any structure footprints. Mm -hmm. So to know okay. that for eight homes and for ADUs, um, she would have had looked at more than just that. Okay. She couldn't have heard that from somebody else. That's possible. Uh -huh. Okay. Um, if you look down here, I'm going to highlight this. Uh, sentence here. She says, it is unclear on the map, uh, it's blocking it, how ingress and egress of eight to 16 plus cars will navigate the single lane private road that accesses the property. Do you see that? Yes. What was your understanding of that sentence? Or what's your understanding today? What do you think she was talking about? Objection calls for clear speculation. He can ask Ms. Rubart if she read this um, and saw this, but you can't ask her what she thought the writer meant. In order well, for her I, to... think, I oh, think sorry. that it's not what she, it's what, I guess what um, Ms. Rubart interpreted this, uh, this comment as, and I think that's, that's a reasonable question. Yeah. I agree he can ask Ms. Rubart for her interpretation, but he can't ask what she thought 
the writer meant. That's, that's, uh, so as long as it's the question is uh, Ms. Rubart's take on this comment or what she thought it was, um, obviously um, Ms. Rubart can speak in terms of what she meant, but certainly um, we could have questions on what how Ms. Rubart uh, interpreted the comment. Yes, and, 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 and Ms. Rubart, part of your job right, is to read public comments and to uh, assimilate them and then figure out what people are probably talking about and then seeing if they're relevant to your, your decision. Isn't that part of your job? Yes. Okay. So what did you think this comment meant? Um, I took it as meaning that she was unsure about how, you know, the many cars that many commenters commented on um, will be able to access this, this property. Um, oh. So it was kind of along the same lines as several of the comments that I received, where it was like, the number of cars and concern with how they will impact the right of way, where they will park, how they um, will get to and from their property. Mm -hmm. What did you think she meant, or did you have an understanding when she was talking about cars navigating, quote, the single lane private road that accesses the property? Can you repeat that question? I mean, so she was referring to, she, she, was, she was obviously expressing a concern about cars navigating something. And she said she was concerned about those cars navigating the quote, single lane private road that accesses the property. What was, she, what was your understanding of what she was referring to there with the words, the single lane private road that accesses the property? Um, that she was just basing, um, her question on the existing um, driveway and improvements in that area. So she was expressing concern, to your knowledge, about how cars would navigate the existing driveway that exists today. Yes. Okay. Why would someone make that comment if they knew that driveway was going to be widened onto their property and paving over a person, portion of their land? Calls for her to guess as to what that writer was thinking part of what's going on here is what did the city know what did the city have you know noticed that there were problems right i mean miss kroll raised the halverson case in her briefing and the halverson case it talks about the city being on notice of problems with title right because and here Hal i'm trying to explore that in halverson they said we own part of the short plat not if she was concerned that there was no access easement, she could have said to the city, this is not an easement they can use. She never said that. That's all That's all argument. I want yes, to get the let, facts. Let me, let me interrupt. I'm going to allow the question. Um, I, I think it's a fair question. Um, so let's proceed. Yeah, I mean, so I guess another way to ask it, Ms. Rubart, did this strike you as the comment of a person who understood that the applicant was going to use part of their land? was going to use part of their what? Their land. I mean, what I was provided with was a title report that showed- That's the... not my question. I'm asking about this comment. Does this comment, does this comment strike you as the comment of somebody who understood the applicant was going to pave over part of their land and chop down their hedge? No. 
does not. Okay. Um, now I'd like to move on to. Oh, shoot. Sorry, I just lost my. There we are. Uh, now I'm move on to the title report. So we've talked, we've spoken a lot about a title report. Um, you've talked about receiving a title report, right? Receiving the 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 copy of the easement, and we're talking about those a little bit. So this uh, Madam Examiner is page two hundred four of the staff report. This is the title report. I take it that was submitted to the city. Is that correct, Ms. Rubart? Um, it looks like it. I don't see the address here um, or. What address are you looking for? I yes, I believe that it is the title report. Okay, why does the city require a title report? Um, to review any um, recorded documents on the property that um, could be relevant to our review. Mm. Bigger picture, isn't it, to figure out if the applicant owns the property? I mean, that is a part of it as well. Mm. And you want to see that the applicant owns the property and there's not any problems with the property. You want to see that the applicant actually holds title to the property, right? right. Objection, leading question. She's there, an adverse there witness. There are many reasons for a title report. Those are some of them, but if you want to say- uh, 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 wait, 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 wait. I object to that. I object to that. I object to that. It's my questions of this of this witness. She is an adverse witness. I'm allowed to ask leading questions. And Ms. Uh, Kroll cannot just interject her own testimony about the purpose. I'm asking a witness questions. So the purpose of the title report is to determine who has title to the property, correct? Correct. And so you've said many times that the city does not decide. She was not done testifying. Go ahead. It's it's to review all of the recorded documents on the property um, and any um, easements or anything that is deeds, anything that is um, recorded against this property. And then you have to make a decision based on information, right? I mean, you don't just gather information, it feeds into your decision. What's the ultimate decision that you make based on the title report? That there is a recorded easement ingress, egress, utility easement that the um, subject property has rights to. Um, and it's shown in the title report, it's shown on the survey, and I requested the recorded easement document to be submitted to confirm. Mm -hmm. So you were trying to decide if this property had an easement. Based on, yes. Yeah, I mean, it's, not, it's, it's a, it's a, um, that was a softball, right? I mean, you're trying to figure out if there's an easement. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, did you ask about any limitations in this document, in this title report? No. Um, did you ask uh, if this document covered? a uh, claim to title that might not be apparent from recorded records? I, I'm going to object as vague. Did he ask, did she ask who? I guess the applicant. Did you yeah, ask the, the applicant, applicant? I would presume. <clears throat> no, I did not. 
do you know if title reports generally uh, cover claims that are not found in recorded documents? Um, no, I, I mean, they say they don't. yeah, they, they say that they don't. And so they don't. So you know that they don't cover claims of title. Yes. That, that, that are not covered by recorded documents. Right, it okay. shows the documents, yes. Okay, I'm gonna zoom down here if I can find it. Um, it talks about here on page five, it, uh, covenants and conditions and restrictions, and it references this document. Uh, I'm having a hard time highlighting it with recorders number 84121806671, right? Yes. That's, that's the recorded easement that this whole dispute is kind of about, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you ask the applicant if they went and found every recorded document relating to that easement? No. Okay. Did, did anybody, did, did, does, does this title report tell you anywhere that, that they went and found every recorded document relating to that easement? Um, I mean, that is, I mean, we take these title reports that they've done their job and um, found all recorded documents. Uh -huh. So we use this as a resource and trust it as a resource. Okay. But, the, but um, isn't the, but the, I guess I'm just wondering, a title report could be a title report on the subject property, not necessarily tracking down every document that would have affected that easement, right? I'm just wondering if you did any investigation to determine if they took that extra step. Um, no, I mean, there was no recorded document that vacated that easement, and I confirmed that and um, took this recorded easement as it is. Okay. And I, when I ask you questions, often before you speak, I hear someone saying something. Do we know who's speaking? Is anybody speaking to you before you speak to me? I go tut. And what does that mean? Is that, is that, am I not allowed to tut? I also make facial expressions. I just don't know if it's communicating. I uh, I, maybe if you could see my face, you could see what I'm doing, but you're sharing a screen. But I'm, I have my hand on my fist and I do... I do make facial expressions and I touch and I will try to control it. I've been doing it since childhood and I apologize. No, that's fine. It's fine if it's like a, you know, I'm not trying to harp on you. I said, no, if you're, if somehow there's communication no, going on. I make no intelligent is just, uh, just making sure there's no coaching of the witness. I think that's the, the point of that, not uh, any little ticks that we all have. <laughs> okay. I'm trying to control Mr. Telgen, <laughs> both my thoughts and my facial expressions now. No, okay. that's, that's, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, not, trying, not trying to harp on you. Um, <laughs> I had a judge in court once tell me to stop with the facial expressions. Yeah. And I, I, I have, you know, you're too far away, so I actually cannot see your face. So. <laughs> mm -hmm. Now, uh, I, I'm curious, you have the, the city and it was in, it was in the, um, the PowerPoint, you've, you've harped on the fact that, that Miss Justina didn't raise her claim uh, before you made your decision. What would you have done if Miss if Miss uh, Justina had come in and said, hey, I got a deed that shows they gave up the easement and it doesn't exist? What would you have done then? Objection, it calls for speculation. She should know how the process works. Yeah. Hey, it's, it's a reasonable question. <laughs> I made noise again. I would have gone to the city attorney's office. I would have um, asked Stephanie what to do. 
So you wouldn't have just relied on the title report. You would have actually done some further in, in investigation. If I knew that there was any um, question of the validity of this easement, yes, I would have gone to the city attorney's office to get their input. And what would you have done if my client had come before you made your decision, said, I own this land by adverse possession. I have taken that easement back. It belongs to me. Recorded documents don't matter. I just own it now. What would you have done then? Same objection. I would have asked city attorney. Okay. So you wouldn't have just approved the project? I don't know. It depends on what counsel I would have gotten from them. Yeah, but what my point is you would have gone and asked the city attorney before you approved the project. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, moving on. Oh, let's see here. Um, I'm going to pull up next. This is Miss uh, Howian's uh, declaration. Um, she had submitted this uh, with the last round of briefing. Have you reviewed? Did you ever review her declaration? I think so. Yes. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go to the very end, and as Exhibit G to her declaration, uh, she had a comment. Uh, I think it was a, a correction letter. Is that what you call them in Kirkland correction letters? Yes. Okay. Um, it's a correction letter dated June 27, 2022. Uh, and, and it says it's the first round of review. Uh, and then has your name at the end. Uh, did you draft this letter? Uh, just real quick. It, are we referring to a document in evidence right now? Yes. We are referring to your client's Exhibit G to her declaration uh, in support of her motion to dismiss. So yes, the, those yeah, the summary judgment uh, materials were admitted at the outset. Uh, do you know if you if you authored this document, Mr. Rubart? Um, I did. It includes my comments as well as other departments' comments. Okay, very good. Um, and then we go to the next page. Like the first page is sort of a cover letter. You know, and then, then it has an attachment that actually has the bullet pointed list of corrections. Um, did you draft the planning department comments? Yes. Okay. So I'm I'm focused on number two here. Mm -hmm. And it says access easement. Mm -hmm. uh, show that the subject proper, property has legal. I'm sorry. Uh, please submit a copy of the access easement under recording number 84121806071. Do you see that? Yes. Okay. Why did you ask for a copy of the easement? Um, because I couldn't find it on King County Online Records and the title reports um, links had, had expired. Right, but why wasn't the title report good enough? Why would you, why would you need a copy of the easement if you had the title report? Um, just to confirm that this easement, um, that the subject property is... Um, I forget what the terminology is, like the dominant estate on this easement. So you were double checking the title report? Yes. Okay. Um, and then if you go to the next sentence, it says, show that the subject property has legal access to utilize that ingress egress easement. What did you mean by that sentence? Um, to show that this subject property is the dominant estate on that easement. That they so you, have they have rights in that easement. 
so you wanted a copy of the easement and then you wanted them to show that they were the dominant estate objection that's not what she said that's i'm just trying to clarify is that am i right or am i wrong um i I feel like I probably shouldn't use the terminology dominant estate because I don't actually know much about what that means. Um, so I would say that um, I made that comment to have the applicant show that they have rights to that easement. They have rights to use that easement for access. Okay, but I guess what I'm wondering is, so you had the title report, right? And, and now you're, you're asking them for a physical copy of the easement, so you'll have the actual easement. What additional information or what additional thing were you looking for when you then said, and also show me that the subject property has legal access to utilize that ingress-egress easement? What else were you looking for? Objection asked and answered. Yeah, there's, there's nothing else. Those are the same, it's like the same comment. It's just like, clarifying why I'm looking for that access easement document. Is so that was, they need to show that they have legal rights to it. Okay. And then the third sentence says the 8300 Northeast 117th Street Properties Driveway. And that's my client, right? My client's the one that lives at 8300. Yes. Mm -hmm. It says, uh, that that property's driveway is located within the easement area, area, so please coordinate with the property owner for their access. What did you mean by that statement? Um, I, you know, based on the existing driveway configuration, um, knew that there was going to need to be some coordination with the Gustina's property's access. Mm -hmm. So I was just giving the applicant a heads up that that is something that they will need to do. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you were telling them to do that. I was, it was so not- So please coordinate. It's just something that would need to be figured out with the land service modification permit. So I was kind of getting ahead of that with this. Okay, permit. okay. Uh, and then Comment response letter. This is another document that's with, with, with the staff report. This is document 214, and this is attachment six. Um, do you know who, who authored this document? The applicant, I believe it was Thomas Morris, but I could be wrong on that. I think he was still on this project at that point. Uh -huh. And the reason why I ask, this is just me, I mean, because it kind of looks like something the city produced. You know, it has the comment, engineer response, I mean, it looks, it looks like maybe it could be a city, a city employee or city staff are keeping track of things in their own sort of spreadsheet. But it, this wasn't that. It was something that was actually produced by the applicant. Correct. And so engineer response, that would refer to the applicant's engineer. Um, yes. Okay. And so here we see is the same um, comment that we were just discussing in the left-hand column here where it says comment, provide a copy of the access easement. Um, you know, show you have legal right to utilize it and then uh, coordinate with Miss Justina. You see that? Yes. And then in the next one, it says, the access easement documentation is now submitted. Sheets that show the proposed development now show the easement as well. And then it says coordination is ongoing 
with the neighbor regarding this development. Did you review this comment response? Yes. What did you understand was meant by the last sentence? That they were working with that property owner for that access. And so when you read this, did you understand that there was some form of communication at least or some form of coordination going on between my client, Ms. Justina, and the applicant? Yes. And that's what anybody would think reading this, right? Probably, yeah. Yeah. Coordination is ongoing. You would assume there's actually some coordination that is ongoing. Yeah. Um, did you ever ask for confirmation of that coordination? No. Did they ever show you any emails or anything showing that they had coordinated with my client? No. Okay. Why didn't you ask for confirmation? Because that is not something that the city would require at this point. Um, there was a recorded easement. They indicated that they were um, working with the neighbor. Um, that is pretty much all I needed to see. Mm -hmm. You trusted the applicant, right? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Uh, last document in this thread. Uh, this was exhibit C to my declaration uh, in, in the prior round of briefing on summary judgment and motions to dismiss. This was a document that was produced to me uh, by the city. Uh, it's from a guy named Jeremy McMahon, whose uh, signature line says, Planning Supervisor, City of Kirkland. Do you know uh, Mr. McMahon? Yes. Does he still work at the city? No, he retired pretty recently. Uh, oh, I see. So did your, did your 10 years at the city overlap? Yes, they did. Okay. Um, and here, it looks like this is an email to Chris Hatch or someone at hatchcj5 at clearwire.net. Your Honor, I'm going to object at this point as an incomplete document, and the document is also contains hearsay. Two points. Hearsay is not an objection in administrative proceedings. Uh, number two, um, this is what was given to me. This is what was given to me, and it contains information about what might have happened back then. I want to ask if she knew about this and if she followed up on it. Uh, just two quick responses. I, I think it's well within the examiner's jurisdiction to uh, not allow hearsay. And just because it was given to Mr. Telligen by the city does not make it admissible in this proceeding. I think the document is relevant and has enough indicia of reliability that I will allow questions on it. Thank you. Uh, do you know if Chris Hatch, uh, Ms. Rubart, ever was in discussions with the city to short plat or subdivide the same property that the applicant's proposing to do with now? I don't know. Okay. Did you ever ask anybody at the city if Mr. Hatch, uh, if, if anybody else in the past had ever wanted to subdivide or short plat this property? No. Okay. Okay. Well, I guess that's it. So you never went, you never, did, you, you didn't, you, you never went back and looked at old application materials at all? Um, I don't recall if there were any on file, but that is typically a part of the review is that we look at old like pre-submittal meetings or yeah, short plot applications, building permits. We have those on file with a property. And if there are um, 
some on file, then we would look into it, but I don't recall there being any on file here. Mm -hmm. Okay. Did you have any uh, phone calls or non-written communications with the applicant ever? Yes. Uh huh. Did they ever talk about their plans with the easement? Well, earlier we talked about the hedge, the fence, the trees, uh, the wall. Did they ever tell you what they were going to do with those things? No. Did they ever indicate to you anything else about coordinating with my client? No, not that I can remember. Mm -hmm. Okay. Just give me one second here. Um, I want to know, so if the preliminary plat is upheld, the, the applicant has permit applications pending for actual work on the ground, correct? Yes. Uh, if the preliminary plat is upheld, can they get those permits and start doing any on the ground work? Um, I would leave that up to the hearing examiner to make that decision. I mean, just under the code, the normal process, like say this appeal never happened and you just issued the preliminary plat, no one did anything. Could you then issue a permit to begin work? So if the appeal didn't happen. Yeah. Rounds, we're talking about what's going to happen if and when the short plat is approved. No, I'm talking about if this appeal never happened, just what's the normal process. And once the, once the preliminary plat is approved, can the applicant actually get construction permits? Yes. Okay, and um, and I'm just looking here real quick. Um, ask me if you, you can let me know if you want me to pull this up. But I was looking at, for example, Chapter twenty two point six um, of the uh, Kirkland Zoning Code. I'm looking at twenty two point six. I'm sorry, twenty two point sixteen. This is on final plat procedure, and it's twenty two point sixteen point one fifty. And um, this is called plat documents completion of improvements required before signing. And it says the owner shall complete or bond all required right of way, easement, utility, and similar improvements before the city will sign the plat documents. I get from that that if the preliminary plat is upheld or if this appeal never happened, you could issue permits to go ahead and cut down the hedge, take out the improvements that are in the easement and allow the applicant to pave over my client's land. Is that your understanding too? Would, would you mind pulling up that code section? Yeah, no problem. It's right there, uh, 22.16.150. I mean, this it, it says that the owner shall complete these things before they get final plat approval. Um, and it looks like it's including rights of ways, easements, utility, and similar improvements before the city will sign the final plat. So I guess I'm just wondering, normal process-wise, if, if, if this appeal never happened, the preliminary plat were approved, could the applicant go get permits? Objection, Mr. Cullerton. I think you just have the wrong 
I think you just have the wrong section. We need to be in a section for short plants. Uh, there you go. Sorry. Okay. Is there a section here on final plats? On recordation. Recording. There, there. Oh, yeah. you passed it. Go up. Go up. There. No, go up a little more. I'm sorry. I think it's might be. Oh, does it further down? Oh, it. Three ninety. Oh, same thing here. You're right. Owner must complete or bond all required right of way, private roadway easement, utility, and similar improvements. Yes, that is what the code says. Mm. That's correct. So fair to assume then that if the if the preliminary plat is upheld, or if this appeal had never happened and the preliminary plat were just approved, the applicant could go get permits to chop down the hedge, pave over my client's property. If if the approval is upheld, I would leave that up to the hearing examiner to make that decision, given the um, question and validity of the easement. Mm -hmm. uh, but if this appeal was never, um, appeal never happened, and if the city was never made aware of the, um, the question of validity of the easement, then yes, that is the normal procedure. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go back to your PowerPoint. And I noticed you also covered the final page um, on the conclusion. Do you see that on your screen? Yes. So in the conclusion, the last two bullet points, the first one says, if the hearing examiner finds there is no evidence to dispute title in the access area, then the staff recommends the decision be affirmed in full. And then you say, if the hearing examiner finds that there is evidence to dispute title in the access easement area, then the examiner may order the applicants and appellants to clear title outside of this proceeding. I noticed in that second one, you didn't say whether the hearing examiner should affirm or reverse. Does the city have a position on, in the second option, if we show there is evidence to dispute title, whether the hearing examiner should affirm or reverse? Objection, you failed to read the entire paragraph. At the bottom, it does say staff recommends that the remaining issues that are not related to title be affirmed. Okay, so is that implying then that the issues relating to title should be reversed? Um, I'm not sure. I don't know if you have anything to say to that. Um, I think... If I mean, I'm only I'm only asking you ask, because you're asking seems... the witness for a legal conclusion. So I object in argument. The city would recommend this. This is a legal conclusion. My, I agree. 
and it should be presented by a lawyer, but she presented it as part of her testimony. So I'm just wondering what it was. Because that's what has been requested. She doesn't make any recommendation because it's up to the hearing examiner. That's, that's our conclusion. We said that, we said that in our motion to dismiss. And I, I just object to you asking the witness legal conclusions. You can ask her any factual questions you want. I, I, I get it. And you're right. A lawyer should be making this statement, but she's the one who said it. And, and she's the one who presented this PowerPoint. So. Let, me, let me interject. Uh, so the, the question's fine because, um, you know, there, there is a recommendation here on what to do with um, the, the, the issues. Um, certainly this is, a, you know, this is a legal question and certainly the lawyers can address that at the, uh, towards the end of the hearing if they wish to do so. Um, but I think the, the question itself was fair. It looks like there is not a, uh, at least in the staff report, there's not a re recommendation um, on the, the issues in terms of easement location and so forth. Thank you. So I guess maybe I'll ask it a little bit differently with the hearing examiner's clarification. Does staff have a recommendation as to whether um, the issues, you know, the, the portions of this approval, I guess just the short plat should be reversed or not if we raise uh, legitimate issues disputing title to the easement area? Does staff have a recommendation in that circumstance? Um, not that I am aware of, no. Okay. We'll argue it in, when we get to the portion for attorneys. It's just okay. not something staff can can decide. I um, and certainly that's fine. The the um, the attorneys can address that issue uh, as well. Although uh, certainly I think staff can make a recommendation should they wish to do so. It looks like at this point uh, uh, the department does not. But um, let's see here. So I'm going to move on to traffic and safety. Okay, Mr. Bart. Okay. And then uh, please let me know again if there's somebody else I should be talking to in the room. Okay. Uh, do you know how many daily vehicle trips this project would generate? Um, yes, we did check with the transportation engineer. Um, and he said it would be around eight was his estimation and how, with how many dwelling units how many I, what do you know what his how many dwelling units he was um including in his computation she she can defer correct to someone else yeah I, I, would, I just wanted to confirm that you asked her if she could defer to someone i think she's confused if you don't know the answer, if you need, if there, uh, this needs to be addressed by another witness, certainly you could state that. Yeah. Okay, I would I would defer to um, Tuan, who is on the call. He's the development engineering supervisor. Can speak to this. Um, okay. But I can confirm it does not trip the forty person um, threshold. Okay. Is this is this Tuan that just come on? Yes, this is. Hi, Tuan. Hello, everyone. Should I ask one now or should we wait till yes. later? Oh, Do you need me? Uh, I need to be sworn in. Yeah, you would need to be sworn in. Um, I can wait. That's fine. Okay. 
we'll, so we'll just finish with, I mean, we can do whatever's most efficient. You know, I defer to the parties and kind of how typically you finish with one witness, but. Well, um, I guess, I, I guess I have a number of questions about, you know, project generated traffic, all that kind of stuff. Should I just save all those for Tuan and maybe ask him those questions or. Should that, would, this, that would be the city's preference, Mr. Teligent, but a hearing examiner can decide procedure. We would prefer that they finish with a Ms. Rubart, including any questions by Mr. Gribben and any cross-direct by me. I, I prefer that we try to finish with Ms. Rubart. She is going to stay if you need to recall her um, and then move on to Tuan for your traffic-related uh, questions. Okay, that's fine. Um, so I'm just gonna ask you some questions, I guess, maybe then, and you can let me know if they're within your bailiwick. Um, or I guess first, when you asked Juan to do this, or or I'm sorry, I'm only pulling in that because I didn't catch his, what, what should I refer to you as? Ms. Um, yeah, Ms. you can Fran. refer me to uh, as Tuan. That's my first name, Tuan Fan. Fan, okay. Sure. Um, so you said you, you, you had checked with Mr. Fan. Was that something you did before you rendered your decision or after? Um, that is something I did after, and it was actually with the transportation engineer. His name is Tang Nguyen. Um, but I mean, a four lot short plat is not something that is, gets even close to tripping traffic analysis requirements. So it is not something I would typically check, um, to mm -hmm. confirm before. Okay. Do you know how many vehicles pass by the project on a daily basis? I do not. Mm -hmm. Do you know uh, about pedestrian uses? How many pedestrians use the street in front of the project site? I do not. Um, how many cars are expected to be owned by the owners of these units? No. How many parking spaces will there be on the project site? Um, I don't know. Um, based on the construction plans that were submitted with the IDP, off the top of my head, I think there were garages. We did. Oh, no. We, I, I just... Can I interrupt? I just, it says my internet connection's unstable. I just froze for a second. Can you all see something to see if my connection is better? We hear you loud and clear. We hear you, okay. not see you. Your video is yeah, off. Yeah, I turned off the video because it was saying my connection was unstable. So well, let me turn it back on and see if we're okay. All right. Okay. Mr. Telligent, I missed the last, I think the last question. I, uh, um, I lost the connection for maybe about 20 seconds. I had just asked how many parking spots are on the project site. Okay. Um, so, I mean, this is something that will be checked with, um, like compliance with the zoning code will be checked with future building permits. Um, so based on the plans that they submitted, it seemed like maybe three or four parking spaces per lot, but that's just based on those preliminary plans that were not approved. Okay. Um, uh, before rendering your decision, was any analysis done um, as to whether or not delivery vehicles, whether they could come in and turn around and come out nose first, or would they have to back out? I believe that Public Works did a review of like turnaround space, um, but that would be, yeah, within the Public Works scope. Okay. 
Um, is street parking allowed on 117th? I don't know. Is that, um, would, that would that have been within your purview or somebody else's? Um, that is not something that we check for at the short plot stage of a project. Okay. So you wouldn't know if it's allowed on both sides or just one or none? Yeah, that's, that's not something that I have checked. That's not something that I need to check at this stage. Mm -hmm. um, so what, what, what type of traffic analysis uh, was performed at this stage before the decision was made? Traffic or traffic safety, looking for traffic hazards. A lot of people commented in that general area. What, was, what, what did the city do? Objection asked and answered. Maybe I'm just, I'm not getting it. Is, is, the, if, is the answer just nothing? The answer is that it was not required under SEPA or concurrency, as she testified previously, because this project is categorically exempt. That's, that's the legal, that's a legal kind of analysis on, um, but I guess the question is, was there any done? And that's I, probably a yes or no, I suppose. Um, she, so I'll she was asked and answered that in her direct. And so is the, was the answer no then, just the for my clarification? Correct. The answer is no, because it's categorically exempt from those requirements. Okay. Do you know, what is concurrency? Um, it's for the city to review traffic analysis and right-of-way um, capacity concurrent with development. Okay. Do you know if all possible traffic-related issues and all possible traffic-related safety issues are fall under the ambit of concurrency? Objection. Vague. I, I think that's. A, I think the what the scope. The question is: is are there there's concurrency deals with a certain thing, and then are there um does but that does it deal with everything? Like, what's the scope of concurrency? Um, and Mr. Chelgin reword that if I didn't hear it correctly. That's, that's a better question, Ms. Hearing Examiner. What's the scope okay. of concurrency? The hearing examiner asked, "What is the scope of concurrency?" Um, to review for traffic impacts and have them be mitigated for with development. Okay, so a lot of people have uh, complained about um, there being pedestrians that might be hit by cars, say backing out blindly out of a, a driveway. Is that something that would be considered in concurrency? Um, I believe so. To be honest, I've never done a concurrency review. So, um, I am not sure the details of that type of review, but yes, yeah, uh, so. Blind spots around curves, would that be evaluated and potentially mitigated through concurrency review? Uh, I'm going to object to speculation. Ms. Rubar just testified that she's never been involved in it and is unsure of the requirements. Hmm. Ms. Rubar, you could, if you're unsure of the requirements, you could just state, state so. Yes, I'm unsure of the requirements. Okay. But you do know that that you didn't have to look at any of the public comments because this project is exempt from concurrency. Wait, can you repeat that? I, I, I just, I thought that the staff report basically said we didn't have to do any traffic analysis because it's exempt from concurrency in SEPA. Sounds like you don't know what the requirements of concurrency are. I'm just trying to confirm you don't know the requirements for concurrency, but you do know you don't have to look at any traffic issues because you're exempt from concurrency. Right. Okay. Um, will any sidewalks be installed with this project? 
Yes. Where at? Um, along the property frontage. Um, so that'd be the 15 foot panhandle. Is that plus the 15 foot easement across my client's land? Yes. Okay. Um, is will any portion of that sidewalk not have a curb cut? Because that's all going to be roadway. Um, I don't know. That is something that would be figured out with the land surface modification permit. Okay. I had a couple documents here. So you had. Um, Let me just interrupt. I know we're kind of approaching the, the lunch hour. I just wanted to ask the parties uh, when they would, you know, if we should wrap up here or um, thoughts on kind of when we should adjourn for lunch. I still have a little ways to go. It might be good to break now. I know I'm a little bit hungry. That's why I ask. <laughs> <laughs> uh, does anyone object to breaking for lunch at this point? No objection, but before we go, if because um, obviously we have a few more folks from the city to testify, and just for purposes of witness um, arrangement, uh, Mr. Telegen mentioned I think he had his two clients testifying. Was there anyone else, or do you have a, just a general estimate of how long your direct case will take? You know, this is this is uh, the longest. The the my direct case with my two uh, clients I, I don't think should take too awful long. Mm -hmm. I guess maybe an hour and a half but that's hopefully just direct yeah just uh okay. you know but that might even be conservative mm -hmm. um and then i didn't know that i would uh need to talk to uh mr fan but it sounds like i'll have to have a few questions of of him but then that that should be it for my direct case okay. any other questions before we adjourn and i guess i should ask is an hour about right so we reconvene at 121 something like that i think that sounds good that works for us that works for me Okay, so as with the last one, do keep, remain hooked up and everything, but you can turn off your video and the audio, and then we won't have a recording during the break. So, all right, thank you all. We are adjourned until 1.20. All right, good afternoon. Welcome back from lunch. We are back on the record for the Finn Hill 8 Short Platte Appeal. Um, Mr. Tilligen, I think you... Um, we're questioning Ms. Rubart. She yes. yep, is present. Um, she can continue with your questions, Ms. Rubart. You were sworn in earlier, so remain under oath. Okay. Um, hello again. Um, so, in your direct testimony, um, I think this was before Ms. Kroll began uh, examining you. Uh, you spoke to uh, <laughs> an issue of trespass, I think, on other properties. Because mm -hmm. um, my clients have raised concerns about, you know, increased traffic, people coming on, you know, basically parking their cars on their property. Um, and you said that those concerns were, quote, presumptuous and unsupported. What did you mean by that? Um, that they're presuming that <clears throat> with this development that there will be trespass issues, but this development has not happened. So there's no proof that there will be trespass issues. I see. So that's something you can't you can't envision in the future. You have to wait till it actually happens before you figure that out. Right. Okay. Um, you had spoken about uh, the density issue, right? Because we've challenged the idea of putting four uh, dwelling units on this property. And there's the whole thing about DD17 and how you interpret it and the exemption and whatnot. Um, 
my understanding from your testimony is that it's the city's position that uh, the number of units hasn't been decided yet. Like this decision only deals with the short plat, not the number of units. Is that the city's position? Yes, this is a four lot short plat. So any ADUs or single family um, structures have uh, not approved. Okay, so I, I'm gonna uh, share my screen again. This is uh, a, a page out of the planning director's decision. This is page, well, it's uh, Bates number four, 14, attachment one to the staff report. And, and you responded to comments uh, I believe probably my comments about the density. Um, and you, in, as I read it, you reject it and you say that there are eight units allowed. Why did you put this in your in your director's decision if you weren't deciding the number of units? Um, because there were several public comments about this subject. <clears throat> and so I included this code explanation for what is allowed per code. At, at the first sentence of my staff response is specifying that this is a four lot short plot. Right, um, yeah. And then you say furthermore, and you go on to um, expound upon why the code allows eight units. And I guess I'm just wondering, why didn't you just write this issue is beyond the scope of this decision? It will be addressed at a later time. Because this decision is being sent out to all these public commenters who might not understand this code, and so explaining what the code, the adopted code allows for is, is a good practice to make residents aware of what could be permitted. Mm -hmm. So as to let them know what the city's position is on what these code provisions mean. Yeah, right, what, what this code allows for. Mm -hmm. So as to let them know what the city's, what the city's view is of what the code allows. Um, it's just explaining the adopted zoning code. Um, okay. Yes. Okay. <clears throat> now, um, let's see here. I'm going to show you a slide of, uh, this is um, one of my clients, uh, Mike Hurley's declaration. This was filed uh, in the last round of briefing on the motions to dismiss and for summary judgment. I'm just scrolling down to this image. Um, do you know what we're looking at here? Yes. <clears throat> and and what is that? Um, it is the view of the subject properties um, driveway as well as the overlooks driveway. Mm -hmm. And right here that I'm circling, that's the sign that the city put up in, I think you said April of 2022? That's correct. Okay, what's this sign? Um, that is a sign that the applicant installed. It was not required by the city. Um, they installed that, I think, to advertise for the future units. Mm -hmm. um, but it was not, it didn't have anything to do with the city's um, review process or decision process. Right. And uh, have you ever seen the content of that sign? Um, yes, I did see. Okay. Was that was that in person or in a comment letter? And this is not a trick question. I was going to show you a comment letter that showed the content of the sign. Yeah, it, it's both. It was installed when I visited the site. 
And then I also saw these comments. Uh -huh. And so this is page 67 of attachment one uh, to the staff report. Uh, this is a comment by uh, Leah Conakin, who I believe spoke earlier. And, and here in this uh, paragraph here that I've highlighted, she says a couple of weeks ago, the additional information now posted on the notice of proposal sign was added. Um, and it talks about it. People were upset that it didn't say there were eight homes. And then she says, imagine my surprise when the developer put up their sign a day later, photo attached indicating that the development will contain four single family residents and four accessory dwelling units for a total of eight individual homes sold separately. And then she shows a picture of this sign. Uh, is that all consistent with your understanding that the applicant put this sign up roughly at the same time as you put your sign up? Yes. Mm -hmm. um, see here. Earlier, when we were talking about Miss Justina's declaration, and you had said that you know she must have looked at plans because she knew details about uh, the project, like the number of units. Um, could she have been looking at this sign? Um, I I guess so. Um, these aren't, I mean, this is an advertisement. It's not like actual plans. Um, yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, very good. I'm going to stop my share. And then, um, uh, earlier in your testimony, we were talking about, or I think, I think you were talking about indirect testimony, um, and this, I think, was when you were dialoguing with Ms. Kroll about the uh, provisions in the code uh, that talks that talk about uh, a short plat needing to be consistent with the public health, safety, and welfare. Remember talking about that? Yeah. And I think you said um, that if the short plat is consistent with sort of the specific development regulations in the code it automatically is consistent with public health, safety, and welfare? Um, if it is consistent consistent with the development regulations, with the comprehensive plan, with um, Growth Management Act, all of those things lead to um, the short plot being consistent with these criteria, with public health, safety, and welfare. Okay, so if you, if you, so if you analyze it, and is consistent with the development regulations, and it's consistent with the comprehensive plan, then you don't need to do a separate analysis of whether it's uh, consistent with the public health, safety, and welfare. Is that accurate? Yes, that is accurate. Okay. I'm going to show you um, the share my screen. Uh, I'm looking at Section 145.45 of the Kirkland Zoning Code. This is on, uh, I'm looking at sub two. This is decisional criteria for a type or a process one decision. Um, and it says the planning and building director shall use the criteria listed in the provisions of this code describing the requested decision and deciding upon the application. In addition, the planning and building director may approve the application only if sub A is is consistent with all applicable development regulations. And to the extent there is no applicable development regulation, the comprehensive plan, do you see that? Mm -hmm. And it says, and is consistent with public health, safety, and welfare. You see that? Yes. Well, if B 
being consistent with the development regulations and the comprehensive man plan means you're automatically consistent with public health, safety, and welfare. Why do you think it says and there? Why do they list both of these? Objection misconstrues her testimony. She included additional than the comp plan and development rights. She also said the GMA, and you can ask her anything else that she believes affects public health, safety, and welfare, but please don't misconstrue her testimony. I don't think I did. I asked her if it's consistent with the, with the development regulations and the comprehensive plan, and you don't need to do a separate analysis of consistency with health, safety, and welfare, and she said that's correct. That is what I heard, but the, the <clears throat> tape would speak for itself. <clears throat> Can you repeat the question? Why does it say and here if you don't have to independently analyze if it's consistent with public health, safety, and welfare? Objection, Ms. Construe's testimony. She answered the question and included additional information. Then you rephrased her question, excluding that information. And okay. she's, you excluded her information. The GMA, you're right. I, I left out the GMA. So it, it is, is your position then that uh, to determine if it's consistent with the health, safety, welfare, you look at the GMA? Um, yes, we look at the GMA. We look at the comprehensive plan, which is adopted consistent with the GMA. And the development regulations are adopted consistent with the comprehensive plan and the GMA. Um, and this short plot is consistent with public health, safety, and welfare because it adds housing stock to um, an area that's already urbanized and has um, infrastructure. Um, it accommodates growth, which the city is required to do under the Growth Management Act. Um, and it adds housing stock um, to meet the community's um, growth and needs. So when you were reviewing this project, did you actually crack open the RCWs and look through the GMA and ask whether this project was consistent with the GMA? Objection. If she knows the RCWs and GMA, I don't know why she would have to crack them open. Okay. Did you did you look at RCW? I mean, it, it, my understanding is you have the GMA, then you, and then the GMA tells you to adopt a comprehensive plan. They have to be consistent. But then at the plan level view, I've never heard of somebody going back and looking at the GMA. So I'm just wondering, did you actually go back and look? Is that what you did as a, as a, as a factual matter? You went back and you looked at the GMA, and that was your analysis of whether it was consistent with. But that's that's what you did in addition to asking whether or not uh, it was consistent with the development regulations and the comprehensive plan. I object to the form of the question as to whether she knows the GMA or looked at the GMA. I, I'm going to I'm going to allow the question um, uh, just because we're going over kind of the criteria that we use for uh, issuing the decision. So I, I'll allow these questions. And I, I would like my objection to stand, Madam Hearing Examiner. That's, it's it's on the record. Specifically looked at it or knows it is. is okay. Let me. Okay, uh, you're right. You're right. I'll back up. I'll back up. Miss Rubart, do you know the GMA? Um, yes. Like sort verbatim? Of. Like when you say you no. know it, like, like, what do you, what do you know? know what, what, what do you know? GMA. What's that? I know the general concept of the GMA. Okay. So when you, when you were doing your analysis here and you step one, is it consistent with the development regulations? Check that box. Step two, is it consistent with the comprehensive plan? Check that box. Step three, 
did you compare this project with your general understanding of the general concepts of the GMA? Like, what did you do? How, how, how did you use your knowledge of the GMA and what the GMA is and the text of the GMA or what it, whatever it is, how did you do that? Um, <clears throat> I did not crack open the GMA. Um, just that it's, it's, this project adds growth to the city of Kirkland, mm -hmm. which we are required to do under the GMA. And that's, that's the general concept that would be applied here. I see. Okay. So you did step one on this, on this screen here, step one, development regulations, step two, comprehensive plan. And here where it says, and is consistent with the public health, safety and welfare. You, you that consisted of you just sort of evaluating, determining, well, the GMA requires growth and we're adding growth. Yes, and is, it is consistent with the comprehensive plan and the development regulations, which are the um, actual um, standards that we have in our pocket to implement um, to approve this, such, this type of development. Um, and so that is what we rely on, development regulations, comprehensive plan, and ultimately the GMA. <clears throat> Okay. Uh, well, I have no further questions. I will say before I go, I'm sorry for being combative. That's just how this works. Uh, my clients do say you were such you were such a nice person during this project. Thank you. <laughs> so thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks. All right. So, I guess, um, Mr. Gribben, should we turn to you next for questions? Is that kind of the logical way to do this? Yeah, I think that makes sense. And I, and I shouldn't have um, too many questions, just a, a few follow-ups and clarifications. And then I guess the city attorney would have a redirect at that point. Is that the order we're going in? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. And if we can um, stop the, Mr. Telgen, I don't know if you're, is that your screen share? Maybe we can. Uh, oh, yeah. Sorry about that. There we go. Um, so Mr. Griffin, whenever you're ready. Great. Well, uh, good afternoon, Ms. Uh, Rubart. Uh, as you know, I'm Brandon Gribben. I represent the applicant in this land use appeal. Um, so I'm just going to kind of go over uh, some of your direct testimony and some of the, the answers to Mr. Telligen's cross-examination. I just have a few follow-up questions on some of the topics here. So you had mentioned that you are a planner with the city and that you've been a planner since, I think, 2020. Is that right? Um, I've been with the city since 2019. Um, I have been in the planner role since 2021. Yeah. And, and could you just describe your duties in terms of, with respect to a short flat, what, what does a planner do when they're, when they're processing a short flat application? Um, the planner follows like the noticing of application, processes, the um, um, receiving public comments, um, and then the review and revisions, review of revisions to the plans, um, and then ultimately drafting the staff approval with conditions. Um, yeah, that's it. Okay. Now, with respect to the, the density question here, um, can you tell me, so just to make sure I understand, so uh, the short plat itself does not approve any development. Did I get that right? Correct. 
And the only reason development was shown was because there was an optional IDP application. Correct. Okay. And could, could you uh, again tell us what the purpose of the IDP application is? The purpose is for tree retention review. Um, and so it makes it so the city and the applicant can work together and um, determine which trees will be feasible for retention and the protection measures for those trees. And then that retention of those trees is a requirement throughout the life of the project. Um, so it's just kind of doing that review upfront, which is why we need that level of detail at the short plot stage. Thank you. Now, after you determine that you can have four lots on this property, is that when you determine how many dwelling units you can have on each lot? Um, yes, how many, yes. And so I understand, so is it, so dwelling units, that's a broad term that would include single family homes, detached dwelling units, and then you have the similar term a detached accessory dwelling unit, sometimes they're called a backyard cottage, and then you also have an attached accessory dwelling unit. Is that is that accurate? Yes, that is accurate. Okay. And those are defined separately under uh, Kirkland zoning code? Yes. And so when you looked at that special exception, that DD-17 that we spoke about or that you spoke about earlier, it says if only if there's a, a, a limitation on one dwelling unit per lot, you don't count um, any accessory dwelling units. Is that correct? Yes, accessory dwelling units are not counted as dwelling units. Right. I want to make sure I get my terminology right here since they are right. <laughs> so, um, so you have two types of accessory dwelling units. You have detached accessory dwelling units sometimes called backyard cottages, and then you have the um, attached accessory dwelling units, uh, which are commonly known, uh, I guess, previously as mother-in-laws. I don't know if there's a more um, updated term for that, but basically a unit within the home. Is that accurate? Yes. So we call them, yeah, ADUs, accessory dwelling units, and they can be attached to the primary single-family unit or detached. Okay. And you had testified previously that you would be entitled to, for, for each single family home, entitled to two accessory dwelling units. Yes. Okay. And you had mentioned that it's subject to change, but based upon the IDP, the proposal here is on each lot, one single family home and one detached accessory dwelling unit. That is what the IDP plans show. Okay, so is it fair to say that the um, applicant is proposing less dwelling units than what is what it is entitled to build under the code? Yes. And th this ADU legislation, that this is something that the city passed within the last several years, is that correct? Um, it's been in effect for a while, but yes, um, I believe it was 2020 that it got a pretty big um, update um, and a lot of the regulations were updated. Okay, so it had been previously existing, but there was a big update in, in 2020? Yes. And do you know if one of the reasons for the update was to encourage dis density 
in developments to help address the housing affordability crisis? Yes, so it's all about missing middle housing and providing um, smaller, more affordable units within the single family neighborhoods. Okay, and, and the detached accessory dwelling units would fall within that missing middle housing yeah. that you just mentioned? Yeah. So I'd like to kind of step back in terms of um, when the short plat application was applied for. Uh, the, the city has a checklist, correct, in terms of what documents are required for uh, for applying for a short plat? Yes. And I'm just going to show my screen here. Is, is this the short plant application? Yes. And, I'm going to, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, where is this from? From the city's website. Because I've looked for this too. And I found it on a separate website, not the city's. Do you have the URL? Oh, I, I, I don't. Uh, I, I guess, I you know, it was my understanding that when I was downloading it, it was from the city's website. Mm -hmm. Okay. I, I did think you had already submitted your exhibits, but that's fine. This was included in the exhibits. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Ms. Rubart, going down here is one of the requirements to submit a, uh, a current title report. Yes. And, and, and this title, it, it goes under different names, but a title company certification, is that what you were referring to as a title report? Yes. Okay. And one of the requirements here is to identify any easements or restrictions affecting the property? Correct. Okay. And did the applicant submit a complete application for a short plan? Yes. And do you know, does typically the city submit a letter confirming that a complete application has been submitted? Yes, yeah, so there's a um, application, there's a complete completeness period um, where we review and then if the applicant, if the application is complete, then we send a formal letter um, notifying them and that's when the public noticing process begins. Okay. And was any additional information, uh, I, I guess let's just keep focused on the easement, was any additional information requested by the city before that uh, application of completeness or certification of completeness was submitted? Um, I don't recall. I remember sending at least one letter um, during the completeness period for additional uh, materials to be submitted. Um, I don't recall what's in that letter. Okay, so I'm gonna pull up a document that we looked at earlier. And this is the first, I'll go to the top here. This is the, uh, the plan review comments. And Mr. Telgen asked you some questions about this, but under 
Uh, item two, access easement. Please submit a copy of the access easement under recording number uh, 84, et cetera. What, what, was this requested before or after the application was certified as complete? This was, was requested after. Okay. And you had previously testified the reason that you asked for this easement was because the, the, the link in the title report was no longer active and you could not locate the easement on the recorder's website? That's correct. Okay. And is it your understanding that some of the older documents are not publicly available on the recorder's website? Correct. Okay. And is that one of the reasons you would request a title report so that you know you're receiving a complete list of documents affecting title to that property? Yes. Did you see any other documents on title to, and, and I'll refer to as either the subject property or the 8230 property or the applicant's property, did you see any other documents on title that affected that 1984 easement? I'm going to object. Um, I'm not sure what on, did she see it on title? Is he referring to doing her own search or is he referring to the title report or what? I'm referring to the title report. I did not. And you had mentioned the sign that was posted on uh, on the property notifying folks of this proposed short plat. That sign also identified the 1984 easement. Is that correct? Yes. And is it also correct that the easement depicted on that sign, it didn't simply say easement, it also said ingress and egress, correct? Yes. And did you, uh, did the city also require a current survey of the property? Yes. Okay. And this is also a document that you had looked at earlier. It's a terrain survey. Mm -hmm. This is the one I believe Mr. Telligent had highlighted something on there. But looking at the yellow area here is, is, is this, you see where it says ingress, egress, and utility easement. Is that the easement on uh, Ms. Justina's property? Yes. Did Ms. Justina ever provide you with any document recorded on um, the applicant's property that impacted the easement? No. Did anyone else provide you any documents uh, recorded on uh, title to 8230 that impacted that easement? No. Ob objection. I was just wondering if you could give us timing on that. We received some in this I, appeal. Are you asking before the appeal? I, at any time up until the decision was issued? No. Excuse me. 
Now, I, I want to talk about the the traffic impacts um, just briefly. So you had, you had previously indicated a traffic study was not required. Correct. Okay. And, and, and have you handled um, short plats similar to this with four or less uh, lots? Yes. And has a traffic study ever been required for projects of that size? No. And I, I think we might hear from Mr. Fan later, but did you say this issue was looked at by the Public Works Department? It was looked at by the Public Works Department. Um, I, because of the public comments, um, to provide responses to them, I um, checked with the city's traffic engineer to see what, what the best response would be. Um, and how we would handle these types of concerns. Okay, and did that person confirm that a traffic study was not required? Yes. Now, there were also some, some questions about parking and, and street parking. Um, is that something that's looked at as part of the short plot? No. Okay, and is that because you don't know what's going to be built until you get to the building permit stage? Correct. Okay, um, but just assuming for the sake of argument that the applicant intends to build uh, the four single family homes and the four uh, detached accessory dwelling units, um, is it, am I correct in understanding that you said that there were two parking spaces required? That's correct. So for a detached dwelling unit, the required parking is two parking spaces, and if um, a lot only has one ADU, there's no additional parking spaces required for that unit. Okay, so two per lot total for both structures. Is that accurate? Yes. And, and do you know, again, assuming that, that what had been identified in the IDP is what is ultimately applied for, how many parking spaces are being provided? Um, more, more than two is what I can say. I mean, I think... I don't have information about like garage spaces and such. Um, so I, I understood. And if you don't know that, that's a, that's a, that's an appropriate answer too. Okay. Now there was also some talk about dedication requirements, and you did say that the city is not requiring any dedication of just Miss Justina's property. Include which includes that 15 foot access easement that benefits the applicants party. Is that accurate? Yes. Okay. So the only dedication being required would be a portion of that 15 foot uh, panhandle. Yes. During this permit process, did you consult with anyone at the city? Um, like a supervisor or anything like that? Yes. Okay. And and who was that person? Um, it was my previous supervisor, Christian Getz. And then um, within the last, what is it, eight months or something, it's been Nick Salufo here. And did both your supervisors approve the decisions that were made in this short plant appeal? Yes. And the short plot decision that 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 was actually signed by the by Director Weinstein. 
Is that correct? Yes. So did he also review and approve the March 1st, 2023 decision? Yes. You know if he made any substantive changes before approving and signing the decision? I believe just um, small edits to the text. Did the city ever, did, did the city require Ms. Justina to sign the, the short plant application? No. Is that a requirement under Kirkland's code? No. And I think there might have been a few questions on this, but I'm going to pull up uh, uh, the, the zoning code 145.15. And so it says here, who may apply? And it says, who may apply, any person may personally or through an agent apply for a decision regarding property he or she owns. And the question is that the short plat does not subdivide Miss Justina's property, correct? That's correct. And you determined that the, uh, the, the, the subject property owns and is benefited by an easement over Miss Justina's property, correct? Correct. So in, in the um, presentation you gave earlier, I don't know exactly what page it was, maybe six or seven, you identified the issues under appeal. And I can go ahead and just pull this up real quick here. So, so you identify the issues under appeal and you, you cross out the ones that were voluntarily withdrawn from the appellants. I, I did have one question on this because I believe there was one appeal issue that was not addressed in your presentation. And that was the appeal issue 10C. And I'll just go ahead and read that to you. Uh, this is from the appellant's appeal. Uh, the short plat plans submitted by the applicant indicate that the applicant intends to dig up portions of the private roadway owned by the Overlook at Finn Hill Homeowners Association, yet the applicant has no authority to damage property owned by the HOA or to dig up, modify, or otherwise physically alter any part of the HOA's private access road. The short plat should be denied or condi conditioned to deny such work. Uh, did you? look at that appeal issue at all? Was that within the, the scope of what you did? Yes. Okay. And can you just describe um, what you did to, to 
you know, in relation to that appeal issue? Um, I confirmed um, that there are North Shore Utility District easements within that road. Um, and I attached those recorded documents to our appeal staff report. Okay, so I'm gonna go ahead and pull this up here. This is the 2007, it says here, uh, easement, sewer, uh, Goldbeck, who I believe was the, the property owner at the time. Is this the document that you're referring to? Yes. Okay. Mr. Rubin, can you give us that number on the bottom? Sure, so I, I pulled this up as a separate exhibit, but this is going to be attachment eight. And the, uh, so the, the uh, sewer one is beginning with, Uh, number 271. And uh, Ms. Rubart, so this is the document and, 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 and so can you just clarify what this document provides or what your understanding of it was? Um, that there are easements for the utility lines within that private road um, that grant rights to North Shore Utility District since those lines are their lines. Okay, so those are public public mains within a private road? Yes. Okay, and in looking at the top here, it says um, this instrument is made this fifth day of July, 2007. And then it says by and between Chafee Home, I believe Inc., and then here and called the grantor. And so this is the person giving the easement. Is that your understanding? Yes. Okay. And then, and North Shore Utility District, uh, Municipal Corporation of King County, Washington, here and called grantee. That's the entity who's benefited by the easement. Is that your understanding? Yes. Okay. I, I, I did notice on the front page here, it actually has the names. It looks like reversed. The grantor is, is the North Shore Utility District. The grantee is Chafee Homes. But just to confirm on the actual document that was signed, it's it's Chafee that, that was the, the grantor and North Shore Utility District that was the grantee. Is that your understanding as well? Yes. Okay. And then if you go to the end, you see that Chafee Homes signed it as the grantor. Yeah. And then uh, here's the uh, water easement. And this is number 262. And does, does the water easement confer similar, similar rights to the uh, sewer easement in terms of the public being able to connect to that, the, the two mains in the HOA driveway? Yeah. And I noticed a similar thing here where the cover sheet identifies the North Shore Utility District as the grantor and Chafee Homes as the grantee. But when you go to the document, it is in fact Chafee Homes as the grantee on the first page and as the uh, signatory. Is that your understanding? Yeah. Excuse me. Um, I, I spoke again out of turn. I just wanted uh, to remind the witness to answer with yes or no to make a clear record. Okay. 
sorry. That's okay. So just to clarify those questions that I just asked asked you, uh, Ms. Rubar, did you answer in the affirmative? Yes, I did. Thank you. And did, did you ever see the, the 2002 short plat that, I'm sorry, the 2012 uh, short plat that subdivided the HOA property? I did, yes. And showing this document to you here, is this, is this the, the short plat that created the HOA to the west of the subject property? Yes. Okay. And... This short plan obviously was after the 2007 easements, but it looks like both of them are identified on the face of the plat. You see the waterline easement here with my cursor and then below it, the sanitary sewer easement. Is it your understanding that those are the easements that we just looked at? Yes. Do you know if a water and sewer availability certificate was approved for this project? Um, I do not. That would be a question for Public Works. And would Mr. Fan be the appropriate person? Yes. And can you just give us a, just a quick general summary of what types of issues Public Works handles? Um, they handle utility-related issues. Um, they handle right-of-way improvements, um, access um, improvements. That's all that comes to mind. And if anyone needs me to jump in, I'm prepared to do so, standing by. Yeah, well, uh, you're probably next, but we'll wait to swear you in. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Fan. <laughs> Uh, so, Ms. Rubar, I'm going to go ahead and pull up that first uh, erection or, or, I guess, comment letter. So, so again, fo focusing on that correction number two, the access easement, there's three sentences here. But it was my understanding that the only actual requirement uh, for this correction notice was just for the applicant to provide a copy of the 1984 easement. Is that correct? Yes, it is correct. Okay. And they did, in fact, provide a copy of that easement to you? Yes. Okay. So, so the second sentence here just says, show that the subject property has legal access to utilize that ingress-egress easement. That was just you referring to, please give me a copy of the 1984 easement. Right, it is explaining why um, I'm requesting that document. Understood. And the, the, the last sentence about, um, I'll, I'll paraphrase, Ms. Justina's driveway is located in the easement area, so please coordinate with her for access. 
you, I forget exactly how you phrased it. That was just sort of an FYI, you know, in the future, you might want to um, do this, you know, once you get to the building permit stage. Correct. Yeah, just kind of getting that ball rolling because it was clear that was going to come up with the LSM permit. Were, were you expecting or was the applicant required to do anything in response to that last sentence in order to obtain short plat approval? No. So I'm going to show you another document that you've looked at earlier, and this is the uh, the, the DCG engineering plans for uh, the project. And there were some questions on sheet 10 that you answered about, um, I think you asked you some questions about what this cloud is and, and the access easement. And then I wanted to focus on sheet 11 where he asks you questions about what area is going to be paved and what actually is being proposed. And I guess my question to you is, is, is the, the information depicted here, that is not final information, is that correct? That is correct. Okay, so is there still um, ongoing uh, you know, correction rounds between the applicant and the city with respect to this permit? Yes, so this would be permitted and reviewed with the land surface modification permit. Not okay. short flat approval. So is it the city's position that what's being depicted here is not um, part of the short flat appeal because it doesn't actually approve anything? Is, is that a fair statement? Yes, I mean, it's, it's not a part of the approval that has been granted. Can you clarify that, um, Ms. Rubart? Um, th those are the short plat plans that we were just looking at, correct? That that might have been just my way to make it easier for me to find, because um, I think they refer to the preliminary short plat at, at the top. The, those are the civil plans that were submitted with the short plat. Okay, okay. And, and I'm the one that titled this just for my own reference, because sometimes these come in with just strings and numbers and it's hard to call up the documents when you're looking for them. Just wanted to request if the hearing examiner had her question clarified. I think so. He's, uh, well, I, I believe what he showed you <laughs> is what can also be found in attachment one. Um, and there it's at page 165. And the, the document is titled uh, preliminary short plat permit plans. 
they were part of the decision and they were part of the packet that was sent out with the decision and they were attached to the staff report. Thank you for that clarification. And Ms. Rebord, I'll just ask you, do you know why those, those plans were sent out with the staff report? Um, I would have to look at those plans. Can you remind me of what attachment that is? I believe Mr. Tillerson said 160, I think it's attachment. Attachment one, page 165 is where they begin. So the attachments in the original staff report approval, um, I believe that these plans are attachment eight, which is titled integrated development plan. So these are just preliminary plans that are submitted for public works and planning and building and fire to review to make sure that um, future development, regulation, development regulations that would be um, reviewed for with future permits could be feasible, but it's not a part of the approval with this decision. What's part of the approval is the four lot short plot, which is shown in the short plot map in um, attachment two of the original staff report decision. And so the right of way improvements are a condition of the short plot approval. So they are required to install right-of-way improvements um, with this short plot approval, but it's not a part of the approval, the improvements. Uh, thank you for that clarification. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and pull up, uh, there was another picture Mr. Tillogen showed. I'll just pull up a Google uh, street view here. This is of the subject property. You see the hedge and the notice of proposal. Um, do you know if there's utilities located underneath those hedges? I don't know. Do you know if these uh, spray painting markings in front of the hedges are indicative of utility location? If this is uh, a, if this, I'm sorry, if, if this is a web image, which it looks like it's a live web image, um, this should be in the record somehow. I can take a screenshot and, and add that as well. So I'm sorry, I, I don't know if I heard an answer to that question, Ms. Rubart. Um, I believe that they do, but I don't have much experience with that. Um, I would recommend asking Tuan that.
Now, Mr. Barker, I'm pulling up the, the title report for the property. If you see here, the address 8230 Northeast 117th Street. I believe you testified that this is the document that the applicant provided you at the initial application that showed that 1984 easement. Correct, yes. And this is the easement right here on number two? Yes. Okay. Now, the applicant did not prepare this report, correct? Is that your understanding? Correct. This was prepared by a title company, Chicago, Chicago Title of Washington? Yes. And I assume you've received many, many title reports in the course of your uh, job from Chicago Title? Yes. And have you found them to be accurate? I'm sorry, uh, uh, objection. Has she reviewed them for accuracy? If we can maybe get some foundation on that question. Sure. Uh, you, you rely on, on title reports as, as part of your job. Is that correct, Ms. Rubart? Yes. Okay. And, um, and, and do you review those title reports to determine if they're accurate? Um, we trust them to be accurate. So I, I don't, I don't like do outside research to confirm that they are accurate. But in this case, you, you did ask for a copy of the document record, you know, identified in the, in the, in the title report. And you did see that it was an actual recorded document on title to the subject property, correct? Yes. There, there were a few questions, I believe just after the break from Mr. Telligen, where you were asked about trespass issues between property owners. Is that something that the planning department in the city of Kirkland gets involved in? No, that is a civil issue. Do you, know, do you know if the city ever represented to anyone that there would only be four homes on the subdivision? No. I mean, we, in the notice, it said a four lot short plot didn't say anything about the number of homes. Uh, Madame Examiner, I think I'm almost done with my questioning. If I could just have one minute to, to check my notes. That's fine.
Uh, so, Ms. Rubart, I, I don't have any further questions. I, I do appreciate your time today. I, I don't think I'll have anything else, but I just would reiterate that I reserve the right to, to recall her um, on our case, especially if she's going to be present the entire time. Okay. Um, I actually, Ms. Rubart, I just want to clarify, is it the city's intent that for the paved portion of the access that 15 feet are dedicated and then the one foot to make up the 16 is not meeting it's an easement is, is my did I hear that correctly yes okay just wanted to clarify that thank you so this I guess we turn now Ms. Kroll yeah yes Mr. Griffin I, I just wanted to ask a quick clarifying question on the dedication so is it is it that the entire 15 feet is being dedicated or just the portion in the right-of-way to make sure you have compliant sidewalks if you just know. the portion in the right of way to encompass the side, the right of way improvements, the sidewalks. Okay, that's the only question I had. Okay, so then, uh, Ms. Kroll, I think if you have questions, you may proceed when you're ready. Okay. Um, uh, hello, Ms. Ruba. <laughs> hello, Ms. Kroll. Thank you. Thank you for all your testimony so far. Is this the first time you've testified in a hearing examiner hearing? It is, yes. Well, congratulations, you're doing well. Thank you. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you some questions, um, a follow-up questions about uh, Mr. Telligen's questions to you regarding <clears throat> uh, what you observed on the ground on Miss um, Gestina's property in the area that you believed initially was an access easement area. Okay. And to back, and I want to back up right now. At the time that um, the short plat was approved, did you believe that the applicant had a full right to use the access easement for their property for ingress, egress, and utilities? Yes. Okay. Um, the appeal has been filed, correct? Yes. Did the appellant file some information that made you question who had legal title to the area that's encompassed by the access easement? Yes. Uh, do you now think that the city should be deciding who has title in the disputed access easement area? Objection. I'm not, I got a lot of objections about legal conclusions. I'd like to raise the same one here. I think we all know Ms. Kroll's position that they do not decide uh, title. I'm not sure what the purpose is of asking Ms. Rubart what her opinion is on that. Well, this is actually a recommendation she would make. If she received that information before you determined, uh, made, issued your decision, would you have issued your decision or would you have not issued the decision the way it was issued? I would have not issued the decision the way it was issued. All right, and who issues the final decision once an appeal is filed? Who issues the final decision of the city after an appeal is filed? The hearing examiner. And is it your intention that the hearing examiner issue the final decision of the city on this short plot approval? Yes. All right. Now, but at the time you issued your decision, um, you received 
you were questioned by Mr. Telligen as to why you didn't take the improvements Ms. Gustina had on her property into consideration as to whether or not she believed she owned that property or there was an access easement on that property. Do you remember those questions? Yes. Um, in your experience, have you received easements for ingress and egress to properties that are being developed that had another person's landscaping on them? Yes. Have you um, been looking at easements for access to properties that are being developed that have had hedges on them? Yes. That have had uh, trees on them? Yes. That have had fences on them? Yes. That have had retaining walls on them? Yes. And um, in order for those access easements to become viable to allow for access, did you assume that when they filed their building permits, that those improvements would be removed? Yes. Did you consider a fence on a property to be indicative of absolute ownership in that property, exclusive of an access easement? Can you repeat Yes. <laughs> when you see a property that has a fence on it and shrubs on it, does that make you believe in your role as a planner that there can never be an access easement on it and that that person who owns the shrubs and trees is claiming 100% ownership of that property? No. Are there structures that could appear on an easement area that would raise a red flag for you as to whether or not a person is going to be claiming 100% ownership in that property? Yes, if there is a house located in the easement area, yes. Okay, and was there a house located in Ms. Gustina's easement area? No. Okay, but ultimately, who's going to issue the final decision on the plat with regard to the easement area? Now that the appeal has been filed. The hearing examiner. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I want to make sure that uh, we understand what has been approved with the short plat approval. Has any construction of a house been approved with the short plat approval? No. Has any demolition been approved with the short plat approval? No. Have the number and size of any homes or dwelling units been approved with the approval of a short plat? No. Um, Mr. Deligent asked you earlier whether or not you took into consideration the neighborhood public comments with regard to traffic and safety concerns. Do you recall those questions? Yes. Um, do you recall saying that um, their concerns 
were not part of the of your decision on the short plot approval? Um, yes. Okay. And do you think that that answer was correct? I mean, they the project complies with the regulations in regard to traffic and right-of-way improvements. The concerns that were brought up by the public commenters, um, I did look into it and checked with the city's traffic engineer and um, drafted a response to those um, public comments where I included information about the neighborhood safety program and how that is um, the channel to have these types of issues um, dealt with. Okay, I'd like, I'd like to share the screen and pull up your staff report. <clears throat> okay, we're looking at page seven of your staff report. Uh, can you just slip down and show the hearing examiner the page number? We'll get that in the record. Uh, oh, okay, so we're, <laughs> this is, and I apologize, we're also pulling up a copy that doesn't have, has, doesn't have the page numbers. Um, but this is page seven of the uh, original approval and staff report, excuse me, for the approval. And um, can you tell me at um, subsection F, road conditions, did you um, prepare this subsection? Yes. And just this subsection address the neighbor's concerns about the road conditions, including narrow streets, sharp turns, blind spots, vehicle capacity, and lack of sidewalks? Yes. Okay, and um, you had a staff response to that, correct? Correct. Okay, and um, you, you indicate in the first several sentences there that the short flat meets the city's code requirements, correct? Correct. Uh, but would it, would it be fair to say that you addressed the neighbor's concerns in the second portion of this response? Yes. Did you ignore their concerns? No. Okay, what did you write? Can you read into the record what you wrote there? Yeah. Um... I wrote that other neighborhood-wide neighborhood pedestrian and bicycle safety concerns are best addressed through the city's neighborhood safety program. For more information, contact the city neighborhood traffic control coordinator, Victoria Kovacs. Um, lastly, speeding and other driver behavior concerns are not a factor in the analysis of the short plot pr proposal. These concerns should be submitted through the R. Kirkland portal on the city's website for the police and public works transportation departments to review. Thank you. Who received a copy of this staff report? Um, all of the parties of record, which include um, everyone that submitted a public comment. And when was this uh, staff report sub submitted to them? Issued um, and, and sent to them? On March 1st of 2023. All right, so, so since then, people, maybe not all the people who commented today, but the people who commented previously know that they had several ways to contact the city about their traffic and safety concerns. Is that correct? Correct. And based on your education and 
your knowledge of state law and local regulations regarding short subdivision approvals, can you make the developer of a short plat fix existing deficiencies that are such as the ones that are alleged by the neighbors in this short plat appeal? No, we cannot. And are you limited only to uh, having them mitigate the impacts that are directly caused by their development? Yes. I don't believe I have any further questions. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Kroll. Um, I think we would return then to Mr. Telligen to see if you have any redirect. Uh, yes. Um, Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever they are, it's a mix. <laughs> uh, so regarding the uh, the director's decision that we were just looking at on the screen, um, Ms. Kroll asked you, can you make a de developer fix existing deficiencies uh, based on your knowledge of state law regulations, stuff like that? Um, can you cite me any law that says you can't do that? Um, I believe that we cited it in the appeal. Um, RCW 82.02.020. Can you repeat that for me? Just sorry. I, it was real quick. Yeah, it's RCW mm -hmm. 82.02. Dot zero two zero. Okay. Um, and if you find that a project is going to endanger public health, safety, and welfare, can you reduce the number of units? Um, this is a, I mean, it's, it's, this is a four lot short plot. So do you mean reduce the number of lots? Yeah, can you do that? Can you do, can you deny a project if it is found to endanger public health, safety, and welfare? That isn't a, that is a decision approval criterion. Um, I think we would have to have development regulations to support that. So compliance issues with development regulations to support a denial. Okay. So if um. So if a project were to clearly endanger public health, safety, and welfare, but you didn't have a development regulation on point, nothing you can do. I don't know. Okay. Uh, you sent the staff report to everybody. Um, you didn't ignore it. You gave them numbers to call. Um, so the basic idea is you can't deal with these now, but they know they know who to call when the problems arise. Right, we can't require this one development to fix these already existing issues in this neighborhood. Mm -hmm. But aren't but is, isn't it at least conceivable that they would exacerbate those problems? Can you require a developer to mitigate impacts that they are going to, or, or adverse conditions that they are going to exacerbate? Um, if we have the development regulations to support that. So if like concurrency would be required, um, but they need 
the right of way improvement um, zoning regulations um, and so that's that's all that we can require mm -hmm. okay uh let's see here i'm gonna share my screen I, I this is just a clarificatory question um there was talk about dedication and i think um i was just confused because uh the examiner asked a question about dedicating the 15 foot existing right of way or at least that's how it kind of sounded to me too uh mr gribben jumped in and said well it's not the whole it's not the whole you know like uh uh uh, panhandle is being dedicated it's just the strip at the front right uh for the sidewalk right 15 feet in width is how i interpreted her question i see so um i guess i'm just curious i, I guess i still understand so here is back on that page we're looking at the um the the preliminary short plat permit plans and just highlight some things for ease of reference um we have right here all right there it says property line so i take it that is um the division between city-owned property and private property did you see that yes uh, i should have made them different colors and then the the higher blue line is the existing sidewalk edge right Okay. Um, and so the, the sidewalk extends further onto private property than the uh, city owned right of way, um, at least on the Overlook property. So I guess I'm wondering, um, I may have not done this quite right. So um, is, I'm gonna highlight this for you here. Is any of the prop portion that I'm highlighting pink, will any of that be dedicated? Because they will have they will have to have concrete on that side of this bold line because we know that they have to have a 16 foot paved access and we know that that, fl that flagpole that uh, panhandle is only 15 feet wide so will any portion of that pink area need to be dedicated. I just want to interject that you may be asking the wrong witness, you may want to save this question for Tron fan I I am. Um, Uncertain as Ms. Rubart knows the answer. I'll let her answer if she can, but I don't want her to answer questions she does not know the answer to. And she is feeling pressure to please you. I'm only I'm only asking because because Mr. Gribben asked the clarifying question. So I had I had a follow-up. If, if she doesn't know, that's perfectly fine. Yeah. I would just object and say it's been asked and answered on multiple occasions that no portion of Miss Justina's property is being dedicated or is okay. being required to be dedicated. I just want to make sure I understand that because I'm still not completely clear, but it sounds like we should wait for the next witness to, to clarify this. Okay, fair enough. Um, and these are conceptual, but isn't there also a requirement uh, in the code to have the paved the paved portion of the access to the project site um, separated from the overlook property by some degree? I mean, can't can the pavement be right up to the property line? Um, there is a landscape buffer requirement between mm -hmm. um, um, pavement widths of more than ten feet. Um, and properties that don't 
receive access from them. So mm -hmm. yeah. So when we so even these are conceptual, we know that it would have to be over on just uh, um, the Justina property, the paved portion, by at least a foot, just by simple geometrics of a difference of one foot between the required width and the actual width of the of the panhandle. And then if you add in any sort of landscaping buffer requirements, that would push that over further. I mean, so this might be conceptual, but we know it's going to be over over the property line by at least a foot, right? By, by more than a foot, frankly. Yes. Yeah. Um, so then the landscaping would be into... Yes. Um, oh, I mean, because you can actually see it in this image, even though it, it is deemed conceptual. Um, you see how this uh, symbol over here, I'm sorry, where it says landscape, and it has the sort of like three prong little uh, vegetation symbols. Uh, if you move over, you can see that the concrete, you know, goes from here to here, and then from here to the overlook property, it's all vegetated. That's the vegetated buffer. So it's, yeah. there's that, there, there are code requirements that say, you know, you can't just have the two, the two pavement widths butting up against each other. They have to be separated by, you know, some sort of a vegetated divider. I would just object to the extent Mr. Telligen is testifying. I just tried um, to explain. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I, I, um, I think I can tell all that just from the, the diagram. So um, maybe if anything is incorrect there, maybe we'll look at, uh, uh, Ms. Rubar, actually, did anything, Mr. Telligen, is that, it sounds like that's consistent with what I'm looking at. Is there, do you have any, um, does that explanation of what I'm looking at uh, sound accurate to you? Yes, that does sound accurate. I just want to confirm what the code actually says for this requirement, though. I'm pulling that up. So the code says, this is in chapter 105.10, subsection 2, G, an easement or tract that has a paved area greater than 10 feet in width must be screened from any adjacent property that does not receive access from that easement or tract. And the screening shall be a minimum five foot site obscuring fence or a vegetation that will um, provide comparable screening to a five foot fence within two years of planting. Thank you. Um, is that sufficient? I just have a few more questions. Yeah, that clarifies my question. You okay. may continue. Miss um, uh, uh, Kroll asked you, Miss Rubart, if you had reviewed other uh, cases uh, where there was an easement, where they had some sort of improvements, vegetation, a wall, stuff like that. Um, were any of those cases cases where the adjoining property owner uh, didn't know that the applicant was going to be using that area? Um, I can't recall off the top of my head, um, and I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Okay. Um, Mr. Gribben had asked you a lot, uh, a lot of questions about completeness. Um, I have two uh, questions on that. One, oh, I guess before I get to the checklist. What is completeness? Does completeness mean once it's deemed complete, you can't ask for more information? No, that's not correct. Right. It means so, that the city 
has the required um, materials that we need to complete our full review. Um, is it to complete or to begin? Like to, to begin your substantive review of whether everything's being complied with? To begin. Yeah. So completeness doesn't mean you're done. You can't ask for anything more. It means now we can start. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, and and then also I, I, on the checklist that Mr. Um, uh, Griffin showed you, this was actually uh, an attachment to his co-counsel's declaration earlier. Um, he was talking about the section on reports, right? Um, yeah. If you scroll down, there's a bunch of, it says other required information, and then it has blank spaces to be filled in. What are those for? I don't know. <laughs> Does it not suggest that the city can add requirements on a case-by-case -case basis? Um, it seems like it would. Um, I'm not sure. I've never used uh -huh. those sections. Right. But in any event, an application being deemed complete just sort of like starts the clock. It doesn't mean you can't ask for more staff. That's correct. Yes. Yeah. Um, last uh, last question or last little topic here. Miss um, Kroll asked you, um, you know, uh, were you aware of information that has come to light since the appeal was filed uh, that sort of, I'm not sure how she phrased it, but she ultimately asked you, would you have issued the decision what the way it is now uh, if you had known of that information back then? And I believe you said no. Correct. Uh-huh. Uh, what would you have done? I mean, what, what would the decision have been that you would have issued? I, I don't know. Um, I would have seeked counsel from city attorney uh, uh -huh. to figure out what to do. So is it fair to say that in light of the information that you are in possession of today, the decision that is on appeal is not correct? It's not. It's at least not the correct decision. No, I wouldn't say that. I just, there's been information provided that we didn't have when we made that decision. Um, and I wouldn't say that it's incorrect based off of that, but I think it, it's possible that we would have made a different decision. I don't know. Okay. All right. No more questions. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mr. Telligent. And then uh, Mr. Griffin, should we turn to you then? Yes, and I'll, I'll try and keep it brief. I'm, I'm sure it's been a long day, uh, Mr. Rubard. Uh, so I, I really just kind of want to focus on, on what you had said about um, reviewing other short plots and seeing easements where there was landscaping, shrubs, trees, and things of that nature. So you, you ended up, you approved those short plots, correct? That had similar um, indications of occupation, whether it's hedges or, or something else in an access easement? Um, I don't recall off the top of my head. Um, we review a lot of short plots, um, but it is a common thing that there are easements that are existing um, that have those types of um, landscaping and improvements in them. Right, and, and I believe you use the term uh, no red flags in those types of situations, but is that fair? Right. 
Um, but you said if there was, say, a house in the middle of an access easement, uh, that would be a red flag. Is that correct? Yes. And is that because presumably it is a um, expensive endeavor to to move a house or to demolish a house? Right. And it would require review and approval of that. And there's been lots of discussion about the city's role here. And just so I'm clear, when you made the decision, you had been to the property, correct? Yes. And you, you had seen the hedge? Yes. And, and you knew where that hedge was in relation to the access easement? Yes. Okay, and you were aware of the tree and you had seen both Ms. Justina's property and the subject property prior to approving the short plant? Yes. Okay. And you had determined at that point that the applicant had provided you with sufficient information to determine that it had a valid easement over Ms. Justina's property to provide access, both ingress and egress? Right, with a title report and a survey and the recorded easement document, yes. Okay. And, and, and is it fair to say that the city um, does, does not have the um, authority to determine adverse possession? Yes. And we, and we said, you know, if adverse possession had occurred, that would not show up on a, on a title report? Correct. And the city, I assume, doesn't determine things like promissory estoppel or other what we call equitable uh, remedies or claims? Uh, I'll object that that does ask for legal conclusion. And Ms. Rubart can answer if she knows the meaning of what you said, but she may not know that. And I was just asking if the city would make a determination on, on that, not if that occurred or anything that I think would require a legal conclusion. I, I don't know what those terms mean, so. Okay. Um, So yeah, what does that mean? So I don't know. Okay. Um, but does the city request consistent information from uh, applicants when they're applying for a short plant? Yes. Okay. It doesn't have one set of standards for one applicant and a separate set of standards for another applicant. Is that fair? Objection. I'm sorry, I had my microphone muted. Are we imposing any sort of scope limits? I'm not sure what this is within the scope of. I thought we were on redirect. Well, I, she testified to other short plots and, and the circumstances under, you know, what she saw with respect to access easement. So I think it's within the scope of redirect. Consistent, consistent. I don't know. I, I don't know what this relates to, I guess. That sound a bit outside scope. Um, not sure what you're... What and and you're, that might have been my last question. I don't think I had anything further on that point. You can go ahead and ask, ask the question. I guess it, um, I think the answer is probably because they have the same requirements for everybody, although those might be adjusted depending upon the information that you the, the app, you know, is obtained and, you know, every property is a little bit different, but, um, but <laughs> you can answer the question if you don't, sorry. <laughs> Thanks for answering for me. <laughs> no, I mean, so yeah. I mean, yes, I mean, we have the basic um, requirements in that checklist to be submitted and then through further review, um, 
there can be other documents required depending on what the review um, brings. So I think I have my final question here. Uh, does the short plot endanger the health, safety, and welfare of the public? Um, because it's consistent with the comprehensive plan, with the Growth Management Act, and with all of Kirkland's development regulations, we have found that um, it does not endanger the public health, safety, and welfare. And that's my final question. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Gribben. And then Ms. Kroll, do you have anything further? I had I had actually one uh, redirect for Ms. Rubart and then calling additional witnesses. Okay. That's and, it, and I just met with respect to Ms. Rubart. Yeah, okay. So Ms. Rubart, um, there's been some discussion of dedication of property. And um, there's also been discussion of the requirement for the developer to install frontage improvements. Where is the developer required to install frontage improvements? In front of their property. And does that mean the 15 feet that they own or the if the easement is valid, does it mean the 30 feet of the frontage of their property. It would mean the 30 feet. They would be required to install improvements even in the easement area if the easement is valid. Is that correct? That's correct. But would the city require that they dedicate the entire 30 feet where those improvements are installed to the public for right of way? No. Okay. And what is the difference there? Um, we would only require dedication on the subject property and not on the Christina property where right. the easement is. But that doesn't affect the installation of frontage improvements, correct? That's correct. But you would not require dedication of the easement, even if the easement is valid. You would not require dedication of improvements within the easement area, even if the easement is valid. Is that correct? Yes. Thank you. I, I, I have one more. I'm sorry, Mr. Telligen. I was. Oh, I, I thought you were done. When you're done, I had just one clarifying question. Sorry. I am complete. Okay. You, you may proceed, Mr. Telligen. So, if you're requiring front, so you would require frontage improvements across the entire 30 feet, but only dedicate the 15 feet, uh, at least length, uh, width wise, along the uh, panhandle, right? Is that right? Yes. So a person walking along the street, would it just be like, how would they see the difference? How would they know the difference between the portion that is both frontage improvement and dedication and the portion that's just frontage improvement? Um, Tuan can um, confirm this, um, but the right-of-way improvements would jog out slightly to, um, make it so the public right-of-way improvements that people would be walking on are not located on the Gustina property. Okay, thank you. I do not have any re-re-cross. <laughs> not sure where we are down the line, but I, I, I'm done with my questions. 
All right. It sounds like Ms. Rubart, we are done with questions for you. Thank you for your testimony and congratulations on this being your first time to testify in one of these types of proceedings. Um, so then I think Ms. Kroll, you, um, did you want to call, was it Mr. Tran that you were going to call next? Yeah, we, uh, we can, I can call Mr. Salufo, who would not be able to really address the traffic and parking issues as well as Mr. Fan, or I could call Mr. Fan next. And um, it is, uh, do the parties, I, I don't care, do the parties have a preference of completing the traffic and parking issues before I address several issues with Mr. Salufo? Either order is fine with me. I just want to note it's almost three, and um, I just want to confirm with Mr. Telligent, assuming nothing has changed on his end, I was going to go ahead and release our witnesses since I think it's pretty safe to say with two more city folks in Mr. Telligent's case, that should take us through five o'clock. I think that's probably pretty accurate. I was not, I was, I was hoping we'd be done in, in less than a day, but I guess not. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's that's likely accurate, Mr. Grimm, and so that's that's fine. We will hear from them in the morning. Um, so, yeah, so that's fine. Okay. I need to. Do, you, yeah. do we need a brief recess? Is that what I'm hearing from the parties? Yeah. Okay. Um, let's take it. You know, for me, it might be interesting to hear from Mr. A fan just because of the traffic issues came up with the last question. So there might there's some continuity there. Um, but anyway, let's go ahead and take a break. We will reconvene at um, three eleven again. Keep everything on, but to, uh, except for your audio video. So see you all at um, what did I say? Three fifteen. Is that what I said? Eleven or three eleven. Three eleven. Okay. We'll, we'll briefly adjourn. All right, we are back on the record after our afternoon break on the Finn Hill H. Fort Platt appeal. Uh, Ms. Kroll, I believe you were going to call your next witness. Yes, I'd like to call Tuan Fan. Good afternoon, Mr. Fan. If you could state your name again for the record. My name is Tuan Fan. And you swear from to tell the truth under penalty of perjury under the laws of the state of Washington? I do, Your Honor. Thank you. Thanks. Okay, Tuan, um, could you please uh, tell us your title with the city? Title is Development Engineering Supervisor in the Public Works Department. Great, and can you tell us um, your main duties? I, I know that you have uh, just been, have some temporary duties just thrust upon you. Sure. But as the Development Engineering Supervisor, can you tell us what your main duties are? Um, well, I, I supervise a cohort of engineers and inspectors. I think we're at uh, six inspectors and six engineers. And we specialize in private development um, concerns, projects, the review of plans and the issuance of development permits. And we look after public uh, works priorities, including you know, their streets, uh, sidewalk, um, buried utilities, things of that nature. Okay, and um, how long have you been working at the city of Kirkland? Close to 10 years now. All right, and, and what have been your jobs during your tenure at the city? I think I started out in January 2014 as a development engineer. Um, 
then promoted to senior development engineer, I think in 2016 or 2017, and then as a supervisor in the summer of 2018. Okay, and can you tell us um, your education uh, prior to coming here to the city? Uh, I have a bachelor's of science in civil environmental engineering from the University of Washington, Seattle. Okay, thank and you. That's, yeah, that's All right, um, I wanna ask you some questions about the Fin Hill 8 short plat approval. And um, there have been uh, some questions with regard to um, the road system that is in the neighborhood of the um, short plat. Now, can you tell me as a development engineer for the city, do we determine um, road conditions on approval of a short plat for the neighborhood? No, not for, not for the neighborhood. Do we, as do, it relates. Study? do we, are we required to do a traffic study for a short plat approval? We do if it meets, um, if it triggers SEPA and concurrency review, but not for this project because it didn't. Okay, and what is the trigger for concurrency review in the city? If it triggers SEPA review. All right, and, and uh, would that be uh, a particular number of trips per day? that would trigger review? Um, uh, in talking with um, our transportation engineer, um, I believe it's 40 trips or 40 peak hour trips. And does the Thin Hill 8 short plat trigger 40 peak hour trips per day? Not according to our transportation engineer, it All does right. not. And I don't know if anybody wants to talk to our transportation engineer, but Mr. Fan consulted with him. I will, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm not testifying, but I'm telling you that he did consult with him uh, to prepare for his testimony. But if anybody wants to talk to our transportation engineer, you may you let me know. Um, otherwise I'll proceed forward with Mr. Fan at this time and, and let you decide that uh, on your own. Um, okay, so Mr. Fan, there's been some discussion of um, what dedication will be required of uh, approval of a short plat. In this instance, uh, Ms. Rubart testified that the frontage improvements would need to be um, prepared along the entire frontage of the short plat, but that dedication would occur only with regard to the 15 feet of property that is not within the easement. Even if the easement is valid and there are questions as you've been listening today about the validity of the easement. Is that your understanding also? Yes, that's correct. And I'd like to ask you, is a dedication of property required as a condition of short plat approval? It's required as a condition of short plat. Um, no, it's a condition of short plat approval, but it's not, the dedication itself is not required at the time of short plat approval. 
Okay, can you explain that a little further? Um, so in approving a short plat uh, in the staff report, I believe it, it aggregates all the conditions from, um, from all the de departments within development services, public works being one of them. And we have a condition that states in accordance with chapter 110 of the Kirkland zoning code, public improvements are required by the development project for the half street that abuts the, the parcel that's being developed. And if um, and dedication may be required to encompass the amount of uh, street improvements, public improvements that are required. Um, so that's that goes into the uh, conditions of plat approval. Um, but the the act of dedicating, if required, to encompass the amount of frontage improvements, if if required, the dedication act of dedicating happens at um, the recording of the plat. And how is the dedication um, evidenced? What document is filed to show? that there has been a dedication of frontage improvements to the public right away. It'll be shown on the, um, the plat map, the face of the plat in the recorded plat. All right. And so then you have also testified <clears throat> that the city would require the installation of frontage improvements across and in front of the easement area. Is that correct? Correct but it would not require a dedication of right-of-way from any of the easement area as a condition of this plat approval. Is that correct? That is right, that's correct. So to me, and maybe to others, that's a little confusing. Can you tell me how we can require frontage improvements but not require a dedication of property? I think simply put, um, the street improvements, including sidewalk, curb gutter, uh, landscape and the like, is only, um, we will only allow it to be installed in public right of way. So um, for a development project that abuts an existing right of way, we don't have enough right of way, we'll require additional right of way through dedication to encompass those improvements. Um, but when it comes to, in this case, on the, um, you know, the frontage area adjacent to the panhandle, the public improvements will have to remain in existing public right-of-way um, because, you know, we don't have the ability, the authority to uh, compel that, that dedication from a neighboring property. Well, the neighboring property can always voluntarily um, dedicate right-of-way to, to make the sidewalk um, more, you know, a, a continuous in appearance, um, if if they wish, but that be a volunteer, uh, voluntarily uh, done, and not a not a requirement. Okay, so Mr. Fan, they have to install certain frontage improvements across the entire thirty feet because that is their access to the right of way. Correct. Correct but the frontage improvements on the easement area will not be linear with the frontage improvements on the additional 15 feet. Is that correct? Correct. And it'll have to be 
um, what's the right word, fine tune in the, in the engineering design at the land surface modification permitting phase of this to determine how exactly um, the alignment will look um, to, to arrive at kind of the optimal solution for, for lining up the sidewalk and the curb if, um, if the right-of-way um, lines aren't, aren't in a linear alignment, you know, if it jogs out by six inches or a foot, then we have to deal with that um, as a, you know, an engineering exercise with, with the private designer. And that engineering exercise occurs when they pull their, what we have a land surface modification permit, an LSM right. permit, is that correct? That's right, that's correct. Does it have to be designed as part of the approval of the short plat? No, not necessarily. Okay, and was it required to be designed as approval of the Fin Hill 8 short plat? No. Okay, so all this discussion of um, dedication of property and design of the frontage improvements, that is actually not part of the short plot approval, is that correct? Correct. Okay, I have no further questions for Mr. Fan. Okay, so then um, Mr. Telligen, do you have any questions for Mr. Fan? Yeah, just, uh, just a couple. Uh, can you see my screen, Mr. Fan? I can, yes. So if someone's walking east on the sidewalk in this area, you know, they're over here and they're walking this way, um, looks like the this shows the sidewalk edge extending further north than the property line. So if they're sort of, you know, walking right along the, the edge uh, and they're walking east and then they come to this portion right here, you know, sort of where my cursor is, how do they know that they're leaving public right-of-way and entering private land? They wouldn't know. Okay, then no further questions. Mr. Gribben, do you have any questions? I, I just have a, a few brief ones. Uh, Mr. Fan, you had mentioned peak trips. Is, is that um, just PM peak or something else? Uh, objection. I don't think Mr. Fan said that. He did say PM peak. He he did mention PM. That was I do or recall PM. that. Mm -hmm. and, and I thought I might have missed that. And, and Mr. Telligen, would you mind removing the screen share? Oh yeah. Oh, is it still? Oh. It's still there. We go. Thank you. Okay, so you were referring to if it's over forty PM trips, then that would trigger SEPA and review. But the the short plat was well well under that. Correct, and that's what the figure that I recall in in talking with our transportation engineer. And I'm curious, do you have any estimate on what type of project would generate 40 p.m. trip p.m. peak trips? Um, I believe it's a, a project that has um, close to uh, 40 uh, detached dwellings. It's about okay. one one per detached dwelling, if I recall correctly. So significantly more than what's being proposed here or what could be built. More, right. uh, you mentioned that there's no dedication required for Ms. Justina's property. 
Um, I, that, that, that's accurate. That's accurate. Yep. Did, did you look at parking at all for this project? Was that within your scope? Um, can you clarify parking in, in terms of the street or the... Uh, well, parking spots required for the for the project, assuming it's the four single family home or detached accessory dwelling units? Uh, no, I, I didn't and uh, not not directly. And did you have any involvement with the utility connections for this project? No. Uh, no further questions. Mr. Fan, I have a clarification question for you. Mr. Telgen, can you bring up that um, the, the map that shows the improvements there? Mm -hmm. I just want to make sure I understood. Does it so what well, my question is is does the sidewalk so does it jut out then or how, like how many feet does it um, I mean across this 15 feet here that's not part of the the, the property that's owned by the uh, the applicant property owner or by the property owner for the project. So once we get into the um, to the uh, LSM design, um, it doesn't the sidewalk won't be on private property or not on the adjacent property like that. Um, we'll have to transition it in a way that's um, that's optimal. And, and so you, you won't see like a sharp angle. You see kind of a smoother transition um, to, to make it so that it's situated in public right of way. Is there room in that area to do that? Because it's um, it's not the widest of roads there. Right. So I don't see uh, the dimensions here, but I can say, um, you know, the 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 narrowest we can make it and still be in compliant with ADA regulation is a 48 inch wide walkway of clearance. So that's that's the uh, you know the design criteria that we'd be uh, that we'd be designing to. And if we don't have that clearance, uh, we may have to meander the the face of the curb a little bit to make it work. And that that's you know what I mean with uh, kind of fine tuning it in the engineering design. Thank you um, for that clarification, Mr. Fan. Yeah, you bet. And for the city, I do have an additional question. Okay. Yeah, I can't remember where we were on all of this, um, but uh, so I guess we'll go back to you, Ms. Kroll. Okay. And if we could leave this up, um, Tuan or Mr. Fan. Um, with regard to the question you were asked by Mr. Telligen as to how would you know you're going from um, right away to private property, you said you, you responded you wouldn't. Do you recall that? I do. But would we ever um, allow the sidewalk to transition from uh, public property to private property? No, not purposefully. Okay. And so um, what you're saying is that during the LSM stage, you would transition a sidewalk to remain within the public right of way across the easement area. Is that correct? In front of the easement area. 
Exactly correct. But alternatively, and, and that would make a bump out in the sidewalk, correct? Right. Um, but the owner of the easement could dedicate voluntarily properly or property to have a straight sidewalk, correct? That's also correct. And um, what would be the benefit of a straight sidewalk? The benefit would be a, um, a full width. Let's see, I think the standard here is the default is five feet. You have a full five foot sidewalk. Uh, so it doesn't have to neck down. It doesn't have to meander. Um, so in general, it could be, um, you know, a big benefit for, for pedestrians using that sidewalk to have that, that full width sidewalk, um, you know, un, unobstructed and then um, altered. Would it be safer to have a straight sidewalk for pedestrians? I'd say so. And that's something that the owner of the easement could voluntarily choose to do, have a safer sidewalk for the neighborhood. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, I have no further questions. Okay, Ms. Kroll, and I um, think, Mr. Telogen, did you have any further questions? Um, uh, yeah, we, we, we use the term sidewalk um, I usually think of sidewalks as being elevated a little bit, but in front of this one, it would just be, it'd be a curb cut all the way across, right? Right, right. Yeah. It has so, to be depressed. Yeah. I see. So I asked you a question about moving east to west. If I instead were walking south to north, right? If I were staying there looking south to north, um, is it that like over here we would transition we would we would transition from like gray uh concrete to like blacktop further south than on this side is that like kind of the difference i'm just i, I, I there's no pictures like i'm having a hard time envisioning any of this well the um yeah it's hard to say exactly where uh, without without measurements and and knowing the the slope um, that needs to be achieved. Um, uh -huh. But kind of the the standard is that transition vertically speaking has to be uh, the maximum is eight percent to comply with ADA on the run slope of a of a sidewalk transitioning to a, a driveway or any other ramp. Um, so we'd use that standard to under, to determine how and where to transition it from a depressed sidewalk to a to a you know sidewalk that has the same elevation as the as a typical curve of six inches. Mm -hmm. So is it something like the sidewalk would go straight through here, like this, and then it would sort of go out like that? I mean, conceptually speaking, and then you'd have the same thing, you know, on this side. Where it would go in like that? Uh, Potentially. Well. Uh huh. It, and, and you're you're talking in terms of meandering it horizontally. I was speaking in terms of a, a ramp, like transitioning to the ramp, maybe. Yeah, but if you can only have so much rise over a given distance, it would seem like it would have to be further on this side than this side. Potentially, that's I why I was doing that. This line of questioning as it involves very significant engineering, as Mr. Fan testified. 
And I don't think that um, it's appropriate to speculate about intensive engineering. I'm just trying to figure out what what's going on. I, I yeah, I was just, I'm kind of confused as to kind of what the the layout would <laughs> would be. Um, obviously, we're not at the engineering stage. I do agree with that, but um, I'm I'm still a little um, uncertain to as to exactly how this would um, work for someone who's walking through there. But yeah. but anyways, I, 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 that does that's my last question. Thank you so much. All right, and Mr. Gribben, do you have anything further? No further questions for me. Okay, and Ms. Kroll, anything else? Um, I just wanted to um, confirm with Mr. Fan that um, whether or not this engineering occurs during the short plat review process. No. So this is this is not part of whether approval of the short plat. This is not a consideration of the short plat. We're just providing this information. Why? People asked for it. Do you know why? The, the detailed design is not a requirement and it's not considered with the short plat approval, but it's handy in terms of anticipating what needs to be designed. Once we get into the LSM design phase, we know what we're up against, um, and I'll kind of leave it at that. Oh, thank you. No further questions. All right. Any other questions from the other parties? Nothing from the applicant. Nope. Not from the appellant. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for your testimony this afternoon, Mr. Fan. Um, so, Ms. Kroll, I think you uh, were going to call Mr. Salufu. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. Well, good afternoon, Mr. Salufo. I, well, I know you've been here the whole day, but if you could say your name just in case I am mispronouncing it. Uh, yeah, but correct. My name is Nicholas Salufo. Salufo. Okay. And you swear or affirm to tell the truth under penalty of perjury under the laws of the state of Washington? I do. Thank you. Okay. Um, Mr. Salufo, can you tell us what your title is at the city? I'm planning supervisor. All right. And can you tell us what your duties are? Uh, my duties are to supervise a team of approximately six planners um, or four or five planners, a development review arborist, a planning technician, a variety of staff in the planning department. Um, I uh, help kind of manage their workloads, um, assign projects um, in coordination with other planning supervisors and provide general oversight with their reviews, assistance as needed. Um, and work as kind of an intermediary at times between staff planners and uh, the planning director. Okay. And did you help Ms. Rubart with her um, analysis and preparation of a staff report on the Finn Hill 8 short plat? Yes. Okay. Um, back up a little bit and ask how long you have been at the city of Kirkland. Uh, about nine years, eight and a half, nine years. All right. And what is your... Uh, during during your tenure with the city, what other jobs have you had? I've been an assistant planner uh, for a couple of years, starting in 2014, a planner, a senior planner, and now a planning supervisor as of about a year ago. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> and um, what is your education? Uh, I have a bachelor's of science uh, from the University of Utah um, in natural resource management and a master's of urban and regional planning from the University of Michigan. 
go blue. We're both U of M graduates, so I had to say that. Um, okay, so Mr. Salupo, uh, when you were assisting Ms. Rubart, um, did you have any opportunity to help her determine whether or not this uh, short plat met the public health, safety, and welfare requirements that are required by our code and state law? Yes. And did that include um, looking at pre-existing potential deficiencies in the surrounding neighborhood streets? No. And why not? Uh, because under state law, um, we cannot require um, a developing property to mitigate uh, for things that are not a direct result of um, their development. All right. Can you, in, in the past 10 years here, have you ever been able to require a developer to mitigate for pre-existing conditions? No. Has there ever been a time when um, a developer's uh, project was disapproved because it would cause a deficiency that would fall below the standards the city would accept? In your experience? Not sure I understand the question. Okay, so um, have you ever denied a development project in your nine and a half, 10 years here at the city based on the fact that it affected uh, the surrounding traffic to such an extent that it required the project to be denied? No. Um, have you ever had situations where uh, the surrounding traffic concerns were raised by neighbors. Yes. Um, and what was their uh, availability? What were they able to do to address those surrounding traffic concerns? Uh, they can contact the neighborhood safety uh, program uh, to alert the city to um, uh, hazardous roadway conditions, um, as Ms. Rubard testified. Uh, those moved through a process with city council for um, consideration as a capital improvement project. Okay, and I, I did ask you that question. Um, I want to ask you a little bit more about what you know about capital improvements and the decision making the city goes through to decide what capital improvements they're going to make. Um, can you tell uh, the hearing examiner and the other attorney councils here? Uh, what is a capital improvement and how does the city go about determining funding for capital improvements? Yeah, generally speaking, capital improvement project is a city uh, initiated project that has to do typically with infrastructure, um, whether it be public right of way, um, a parks uh, development, a city facility, something of that nature, a capital um, component of the city. Um, those projects are guided by um, the city, uh, the city's, I'm going to get the title wrong, but the capital improvements plan, it is a functional plan under the city's comprehensive plan. Um, and, it, and it's regularly updated uh, based on priorities that the city council adopts. Um, and uh, there's a funding component that gets reviewed as part of city council's budgeting process uh, for um, projects under the capital improvements plan. And is updating roadways in the city, such as the roadways 
adjacent to the Finn Hill Eight Short Platte neighborhood. Is that a project that would be considered under the capital improvements plans? Yes. And and how does the city know that they should be considering a project to update that roadway system? Um, I, I presume for a variety of ways, but one in particular as it relates to the discussion today is through the neighborhood safety program. All right, and it could be if there are accidents in that area that the city is aware of. Is that correct? Correct. All right, and so um, I, I thank you for explaining that. I also wanted to have a little bit of explanation on the growth management impact, excuse me, the growth management acts impact on how the city approves short plats. Um, because that's what's before us. So um, under the Growth Management Act, is there a requirement for um, certain housing levels in the city? Yes. Okay, can you explain that requirement? Yeah, um, generally the growth, through the Growth Management Act, um, the uh, cities, through a process with Puget Sound Regional Council, regional planning bodies, the, uh, King County, all the way down to the city level, there is essentially an allocation of growth targets, both in terms of jobs and housing, um, that get divvied up amongst municipalities in um, uh, the Puget Sound region. Um, those get um, assigned um, and the city has to um, show that they have adopted policies um, and regulations that can accommodate the growth that has been assigned to the city. Um, and that is done at the comprehensive plan level um, uh, as, a, as a policy. Um, and then it trickles down into development regulations such as zoning um, uh, and you know, more specifically uh, density uh, regulations. All right, and is there, uh... Recently, to the best of your knowledge, are you aware of the legislature enacting any codes that required cities to consider, um, not actually consider, but require cities to take into account that they had to provide more affordable housing within their borders? Yes, I believe I know what you're referring to. Okay, and are there, in addition, new house bills that are going to even increase those further that are not applicable to this development. Correct. Okay, so what has been, basically, what has been the trend you are seeing from the state legislature? Uh, to increase levels of development in urbanized areas um, where we can accommodate growth. Um, uh, that's one thing. Uh, the other is uh, the affordability piece. So how to encourage um, what is uh, termed missing middle housing. So how can how can we, and I would say not even just encourage, but in some ways mandate um, that cities uh, provide development paths for um, missing middle housing. Okay, so that's actually a mandate from state law that, that you're aware of, correct? Yes, yeah. And, and can you cite the code provision for me today or do you leave that to the lawyers? Uh, uh, in, in terms of the legislation recently? Yes. Um, I believe it's House Bill 1110. Okay, that's new legislation. Do yes. you know what House Bill 1110 will require coming soon? 
Um, I'm object. Why, why are we talking about future laws? We're talking about the trends. But what do the trends have to do with anything? I'm, I'm, I guess all objectives are relevant. For as a, as Your Honor, we were just going to have them explain that development under House Bill 1110 is going to ban cities from requiring single-family developments on lots. Cities the size of Kirkland are going to be required to allow on what was previously a single-family lot, fourplexes. If a developer comes in and wants to build a fourplex on what we have zoned a single-family lot, we will be required to approve it. What I have Sorry, um, I, I am familiar with that new legislation. It does have to be implemented at the local level. And I, right now, what we're dealing with is the current regulatory structure. So I don't want to go too far down the road on, uh, in, uh, you know, if it's not enacted yet in code. I mean, what I'm looking at is what's in the code. So, Your Honor, that was just the offer of proof that the code right now is, is the development at the level of the lots in Fin Hill 8 greater than it would have been 10 years ago under our code based on code amendments i don't know okay that's fine if you don't know i don't want you to guess yeah. so um with that your honor i don't have any further questions okay all right thank you miss kroll so then i think we turn next to you uh, mr telligen for um cross and direct. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Uh, good afternoon, Mr. Salufo. Um, I have in my notes, uh, just if I can find it here, uh, Ms. Rubart cited RCW 82.02.020 as uh, the prohibition on requiring uh, developers to fix pre-existing problems. Is that the same law you're thinking of? It is. Can you, is it allowable to deny a project if it will endanger public health, safety, and welfare? It is. Is it allowable uh, to reduce the number of allowable lots if it will endanger public health, safety, and welfare? I don't know. Is it, what about reducing the number of units if it will endanger public health, safety, and welfare? I don't know. Okay. Uh, Okay, thank you. All right, uh, Mr. Gribben. Uh, yes, thank you, uh, Madam Hearing Examiner. A uh, few questions, uh, Mr. Salufo. Uh, so since you were in the same room, I assume you heard Ms. Uh, Rubart's testimony today? Indeed, yes. I is there anything that you disagreed with or would like to clarify? Um, not off the top of my head. And you, you heard her explanation on the dwelling unit exemption that was discussed at, at some length? Yes. And you agree with that analysis, is that correct? Yes. Do, do you have anything to add on uh, what Ms. Rubart testified to about that? Uh, yes, I, I would add um, in particular, in particular, that the um, Mr. Telligen's interpretation of our code is is incorrect. Um, 
and that essentially um, he he minces the code and tries to um, separate um, two parts of one special regulation, um, and those two parts actually uh, rely on one another. You cannot uh, implement one without the other piece. Um, I, I believe Ms. Rubard um, alluded to um, something similar, but I, I, I guess I would reiterate that. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, what, and what specifically are those two, those two parts of the code? Um, under uh, uh, DD 17, the special re regulation in question, um, there is the um, uh, the itemized um, components, I believe that relate, I don't have it in front of me, so. Go ahead, pull it up. Um, yeah, I can pull that up. So here's, here's DD 17, if that's helpful. Exactly, thank you. Um, so there is um, uh, the A, B, and C there that relate to maximum units per acre. Um, and then there is the, uh, uh, what Mr. Pelgin had referred to as the postscript uh, uh, paragraph there. And that, um, uh, it, it seems to me that he attempts to bifurcate that postscript from A, B, C, and D when in fact it is instructive um, as to how we calculate units per acre. Without the postscript, we we don't know we don't know how to we, we can't calculate units per acre, I would say. Where where's the postscript? The postscript being sorry, yeah, exactly. And this language is found elsewhere elsewhere in these special exceptions. Is that correct? It is in a handful of spots, yes. Uh, one question I had, um, there, there's been reference to what I thought I heard was RCW 8202020. And I, I pulled it up, and I'm somewhat familiar with that provision. And it has to do with... Um, uh, fees being prohibit, prohibited for the development of land or buildings. And when I heard you talk about it, it sounded like you might be referencing a different code provision. So let me just pull this up and see if this is the, is this the regulation that you were both or that you were referring to? Yes. Okay. <clears throat> And what section specifically were you were you referring to? Uh, the first paragraph. Uh, if you give me a second here to read that, I'll be more specific. Um, so uh, in that first paragraph, um, second to last line, beginning with however. Um, uh, this section does not preclude dedications of land or easements within the proposed development or plat which the county, city, or uh, town, or municipality can demonstrate are reasonably necessary as a direct result of the proposed development or plat to which dedication of land or easement uh, is to apply. And there, there may be more to that. That's what my eye was drawn to right, right then on the screen. Okay, thank a you. A lengthy section, obviously.
So those were the only questions that I had. Thank you, Mr. Salupo. Okay. Was there anything further from the city? Yes. So um, we can only require under 8202020 a uh, dedication of land that is a, uh, as a direct result of the development, correct? Correct. So we can require Finhill 8 to dedicate some right-of-way in front of their property, correct? Yes. And improve that right-of-way. Yes. Can we require them to improve right-of-way that is not in front of their property and fix some pre-existing condition that their neighbors caused when they developed? No. Okay. We can't go over and, and make them buy their neighbor's land and improve it. Is that correct? Correct. Where, where, for example, a widening of a roadway would would require additional right of way be dedicated, potentially along other parcels. We cannot require that to happen. We can't require this developer to widen the road because he would have to buy other land, and, and that would be an unlawful tax or charge under 8202020, as you understand it. Is correct. that correct? Yes. All right. Um, uh, I also, when you were asked about um, uh, would we, could we deny a plat for health, safety, and welfare reasons, answer you said yes, of course, yes. right? And, um, but can you require a traffic study for pre-existing conditions in a neighborhood when the developer's short plat is, is, categorically exempt from traffic studies under SEPA? Uh, no, we cannot require that for exactly that reason. It is a categorical exemption. State law establishes the extent um, of, of our, of our uh, reviews. Okay, so you, you understand the neighbor's concerns, correct? Yes. And under state law, are you allowed to require a traffic study to address their concerns? Are you allowed to have the Fin Hill 8 developer prepare a traffic study to address their concerns? No. Simply just not allowed, is that correct? It, it is not allowed. Um, the, the burden in relation to the de minimis level of impact that is associated with short plats of this nature across the city, not just here, um, it, it, would, it would be beyond reasonability to require a traffic analysis uh, for a short plat that is otherwise categorically exempt from uh, SEPA review. And is it your understanding that Kirkland is the only city that um, the categorically exempt exception applies to for short plat approvals? No, it's that state law. So, so if this development were going in in um, Medina, would Medina be able to require the developer to perform a traffic study? I know there are some limitations under the, under the RCW that relate to what type of municipality um, the jurisdiction is. So I can't speak specifically okay. to Medina. That's right. <laughs> it, it is statewide for cities of our size. Is that correct? Correct. All right. I, I went too far on that. Um, thank you for clarifying. And I have no further questions. Okay. Yes, Mr. Telogen. Just uh, one. So is it your position, Mr. Salufo, that because this project is exempt from SEPA, 
and it's exempt from concurrency review or say short plats generally um are exempt from SEPA and are exempt from concurrency that you can never ever have an applicant analyze traffic related impacts no matter what the on the ground facts are you just you can never ever do that because they're exempt from concurrency and SEPA no that's not my position oh well then what is your position if it, so you can then ask for a, tra a traffic analysis even for a short plat that's exempt from SEPA and exempt from concurrency review Right, I would say my position is we can require those things when we believe them to be reasonably necessary. Um, the types of concerns relating to traffic um, and other roadway conditions, um, as Ms. Rubar testified to earlier, um, were assessed. We consulted with um, the city's transportation engineer. Um, we discussed, uh, concluded through those discussions that like every other short plot in the city of Kirkland, the expected level of traffic is de minimis and uh, these, these concerns are uh, more appropriately um, uh, addressed through the neighborhood safety program as uh, expressed in uh, the director's decision and um, staff's response to the, directly responding to those concerns. I see. So it's not because you're not allowed to, it's because you thought in this case it wasn't really needed. I didn't, uh, we did not think it was reasonably necessary um, given the expressed concerns um, submitted under the public comment and the the um, uh, the review we did with in consultation with um, the city's transportation engineer. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you very much. Mr. Griffin. Yeah, just one or two follow up questions. Were, were the neighbors concerns about traffic and parking impacts um, unique? No. I, well, I, I believe if I may uh, ask a clarifying question, you mean unique to this short plat, unique to short plats in general? Like, what what is your comparison? Well, there? I, I guess generally speaking, unique to the to the types of complaints that you receive for similar short plats in the city of Kirkland. I would say we receive similar um, public comment on um, many many short numerous short plats. And, and for similar short plots, have you ever determined that it was necessary to perform additional uh, traffic studies, even though the project was exempt from SEPA? I have not. No further questions. And Ms. Cole, anything further? No further questions. Okay, all right. Thank you for your testimony this afternoon, Mr. Salufo. Pleasure, thanks. So I think, Ms. Cole, that was the city's last witness, am I correct? That is correct. The city has no further witnesses to call at this time. Okay. So then I think we turn to the appellants. Uh, we are now at four. Uh, Mr. Tillichen, um, and I look to all of you. <laughs> uh, do you want to, should we uh, continue on or what would be the best approach? Well, I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if Mr. Tillichen has a, a shorter witness where we could maybe, um, you know, because just looking forward to tomorrow, you know, we'll, Similarly, probably be tired then. Um, How many witnesses are you going to call, Mr. Griffin? So we have one. Assuming I don't call the city folks, probably four, four witnesses, and and I certainly don't expect anyone to take as much time as uh, Miss Rubart did today. 
Mm-hmm. But, but, but that being said, I could see us going, well, I guess if, if you were to take all your witnesses tomorrow with cross and redirect, you, you know, I don't think it would take us through lunch, but could, you know, certainly take us through the, the first break. It'll take us to the first break. I don't know if it would take us to lunch. Well, we may be able to do it all tomorrow then. Um, and Mr. Telgen, how many witnesses did you have? Just two. Two. Oh, okay, that's right. Um, well, I guess I'm somewhat inclined to adjourn at this time, unless, um, you know, if we have a shorter witness or something, I could see that making sense. But um, I mean, it's a, I guess it's a, I guess you're the decision maker and it's sort of a three way vote amongst the attorneys, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty I'll, pooped. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll defer to, to uh, the damn examiner if, if she would like well, to. Well, I guess my, my preference would um, be to, to uh, hear the witnesses tomorrow after good night's rest. <laughs> um, so I'd be kind, unless, unless I'm hearing kind of a strong reason not to. Um, and I do have some things I need to get to before then. So. Um, so I think what we may do is go ahead and adjourn. Mr. Gribben, before I forget, if you could email, because usually in my decisions, I put the address for the applicant as well as the property owner, and I understand they're separate. So as I, Mr. Tillington, you had mentioned that earlier. So I just want to make sure I have that correct. So if you just email their addresses, no, you don't need to do it today, but um, just I want to make sure I uh, noted that. Yes, Mr. Salufo, you have a question? I uh, just wanted to alert you to an attendee that has raised their hands. I do not know if you want to permit them to speak and ask their question or not. Yeah, if there's a procedural question, that's that's fine. I'm not sure what the nature of the question is, but um, why don't you? Uh, I guess you have to. They have to be elevated to panel status, I think. Right, Blanca or whoever is still on for our support here. If you could, Mike Hurley, promote, um, please. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Give me just a moment. Mr. Hurley, um, did you have a question or? Yes, just a procedural question. My mm -hmm. phone died, so I couldn't ping Brian. So Brian, that's why I didn't ping you. Um, <laughs> just wanted to make sure that we are going to be using the same Zoom link tomorrow. Oh, yeah, no, good question. Um, should, <laughs> thank you for asking that. Um, do you want, should I, so, and for me as well, should I, be, should we all be using the exact same Zoom links or will there be another one? I, looks like Blanca will answer here. Um, I am not a hundred percent sure. Um, I, if you guys give me just a couple minutes, this is, I'm actually need to hear an examiner meetings myself. So, um, I don't know what the procedure would be if we are, um, available to use the same link or if I am required to, um, distribute a new one. So if you could just hold on for just a couple minutes, I can run and, um, ask. Okay. And Mr. Salufo, wait, hold off before you run off in case Mr. Salufo is adding something on that. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I just I might suggest that we we can adjourn and I will work with Blanca on figuring out those details and in in either case I think we can send an email to all the parties with um, direction on which links to use. Um, okay. I suppose if they are the same links links we might as well just send them again so you have them uh, at the top. Okay, and I think. So I think it's, I, it looks like we have a number of citizens who are yeah, about seven, uh, well, 17 minus the, um, the folks present here. Um, I, do, um, I don't know if you got the emails from them. I mean, you could also post it on the, the website um, as well. So uh, everyone knows kind of exactly what link to use. Um, yes, I, I just want to make sure everyone has the right link. The, 
I did not think about the public attendees. Um, yeah. And I, I for one, did not write down every last uh, email address. Um, I, ha I have them, and hopefully, I, um, I tried to be as accurate as possible. I, I can. Um, sorry to interrupt, Madam Hearing Examiner. No. I, I, I can. Um, I can always um, update that link in the public website and just make a note whether we will be using the same one or if it will be a new one. So, um, and I'll be sure to distribute that as well. Yeah, if you could do that to up, update the public website. And I think what I might do, I might cut and paste the email. Where did they? Oh, they're there. Okay, yeah. I'm gonna cut and paste the emails that we received from the public testimony and maybe if the city could, I think I'll just put that into the the, the, the appellant email. Um, and then that way, if the city could send the link to them as well. Um, I think we have our bases covered on that. Does that does that make sense? That works. Okay, all right. Any other procedural questions from either the parties to the appeal or from the public and on the public side, just raise your hands and we'll, our hand, not your hand, but you know, the, <laughs> the emoji <laughs> hand and we'll uh, address that. The big hand. No, they can't? Nothing Same from time. the city. Oh, okay. I don't have anything further. Okay, all right. Um, that sounds good. Um, thank you all for your participation today. Uh, we will reconvene at 9 a.m. tomorrow uh, with the links that are either provided by email or through the online public website. So, oh, I, I just realized yeah. I did have one, one question that just popped up. So with regard to the exhibits that I was publishing, and I sent those to the parties, um, and, and I guess I didn't go through a formal offer of admission. Yeah. Because I know it's a little bit looser and a little bit different. So I, I guess I just wanted to get direction on how to handle that. Should I email the ones that are referenced? Wait till the end. Yeah. Why don't you go ahead and email uh, directly to me, uh, whichever the, the exhibits are. And we didn't. That's true. We did not deal with that. And I actually, that was a question I had for you. Let's deal with the kind of the, the admission, all that. We'll deal with that tomorrow. Sure. Because um, you'll be presenting tomorrow as well. So um, that's probably the easiest. But yeah, in the meantime, you can go ahead and send the email to me that you sent to the other parties and be sure to CC everyone. So. Okay. I will do that. All right. Any last? Oh, yes, Mr. Salufo. Bye. There's one last comment on the link issue for any of the panelists. If you fail to receive a, a panelist link, you can always just go to the hearing uh, city's hearing examiner website, log into the meeting as an attendee, and we can promote you. So that's your fail safe there. Okay. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you for that clarification. All right. Sounds good. Thank you all again. We are adjourned. Thank you. Thanks. Bye.